FX presents Under the Banner of Heaven. This case I'm working on is a double murder. Inspired by the true crime bestseller by John Krakauer. Oh my God. And starring Academy Award nominee Andrew Garfield. The evidence points to things and to beliefs that I have only ever heard whisperings about. FX is Under the Banner of Heaven. All new Thursdays, only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Cox Contour TV. Find the entertainment you love with Contour TV and Contour Stream Player. Learn more at coxcox.com slash contour. Was that your Cliff impression? Yeah, that's my, that's my best Georgian <laughs> Cliff accent. Your best Georgian Cliff accent. Welcome, guys. This is Honey Hole Hangout. Today we have uh, myself, Landon. Uh, we have Zach. Hey. Cliff is not with us tonight, although he might make a guest appearance towards the end of the show. And our guest today is Jeff Davis. If you've never listened to our show before, we are the collaboration of four outdoorsmen who somehow afforded podcast equipment figured out how to release content on the internet. These are our stories, opinions, and perceptions of outdoor pursuits in the sporting world. If this is your first time listening to the show, we're glad you're listening. We're real excited to have Jeff on the podcast with us today, and we're just going to roll right into our whiskey review. This whiskey was a donation from Gabe. Thank you, Gabe. Thanks, Gabe, as always. Thank you, As like 90% of our whiskeys are from Gabe. Yes, they are. Is this our first Japanese, or have we had a Japanese before? No, so remember in that, um, we tried one about a month ago. My dad gave me one of those ones. Okay. Um, I forget what it was, though. So today, we are having Yamazaki 12-year-old whiskey. This is produced by Suntory, and uh, here's a little bit of information on it. Some of the very best Japanese whiskey is made by Suntory, which operates two distilleries and produces three labels. This is the uh, Yamazaki label. Um, And if you guys don't know, Japanese whiskey is modeled on the Scotch whiskey industry and both single malts and blends are produced. One notable difference with the Yamazaki 12-year-old single malt is that the wash or thin beer created prior to distilling is fermented longer than usual in wooden washbacks. This results in a creamy character that is noticeable on both the nose and palate. This whiskey is, uh, you should be getting out of it, bright tropical fruit note that is reminiscent of a sunny summer day picnic with pineapple, citron, honeysuckle, and pine sap aromas appearing before dried fruit notes begin to appear. Now, is, is that totally off? What do you guys get? You know, it's the thing where it's like you put it in my head, and now I think I taste pineapple. But had you tell, not told me that, I don't know if I would have. You know what I mean? It it, it definitely kind of has uh, that kind of tingly quality to it that, you know, when you taste it, it's got a little something right at the end, which kind of, to me, was citrusy. Yeah. Yeah, I get a dried fruit. Yeah. yeah, is what no, I get out of it. But I get that right, like the like the acidity from my like, grabbing your tongue yeah. kind of a little bit. Yeah. yeah, and this technically 
isn't yes. a scotch, and Japanese whiskey technically isn't scotch, although they... No, it uses the same style. The style. But they're the but only type that's you, allowed to spell it without the E. If you... Really? Yeah, scotch and Japanese whiskeys are the only two that can spell it W-H-I-S-K-Y. Everything else has to be E-Y. Wow. Yeah. If you just gave this to me... Worth the price of admission. <laughs> Learn something yeah. new. No, but if, if you just gave this to me and I didn't know what I was drinking, I would be like, this is scotch. It, really? It definitely, to me, has a scotch See, flavor. See, to me, I, I definitely noticed the absence of the peat, which... But not all scotch is peat. That's true. That's true. Not all scotch is peat, so... I think as somebody who's not a huge fan of peat, it, like, immediately, like, if it doesn't have peat, I'm like, oh, thank God, you know? Okay. So... Yeah, uh, you know, somebody told me who was definitely a, a scotch connoisseur said there's two types of people in the world. There's there's the peats and the non-peats. <laughs> yeah. And, and I kind of fall into a non-peat. Um, I, I have a friend that, you know, when he drinks scotch, it, it, it there can't be enough peat. And so yeah. so when when I first tried this, I was like, oh, you know, I I thought scotch, you know, a no-peat scotch. Yep. But I drink a lot of bourbon, so it was minus a lot of the smokiness and all yep. that. But it's it's it is really refreshing. I don't know if it's a summer day picnic refreshing, right? Right. <laughs> uh, and it's sweeter too. Yeah. You know, it definitely doesn't have those like caramel notes like you get with the bourbon. But and they said um, in here a creamy character. Yeah, and yeah. I I I, th- I kind I get of a, that. I I kind of get that. Yeah, it's very good. It it's, is. It's delicious. Eighty six proof too, so it's relatively easy. You know, not a doesn't yep. really burn a lot. Yep. Uh, Zach, we have a hunt this We have the honey hole hunt this weekend. I'm excited, man. So me, you, yep. Cliff, Ian, Carson. Yeah. It's a big group. Are going down to my place, and we're going to do some deer hunting this weekend. Yeah. Uh, what? It's going to be better than it was last year we attempted to bow hunt. Well, we went during bow season, so we didn't have a choice. Cliff is no, bow hunting, though. Yeah. Yeah. Cliff's not said he's not taking a it's rifle. It's a tough property to bow hunt because it's so massive cliff has a spot there i would say the the spot that he's going to be in is the one i can imagine being productive he's also had a game camera there for a year and the memory card has not been pulled on it so i'm excited wait ever i thought he was checking this every couple months no because it's way in the back of our property it's a pain (laughs) to go to and my dad kept saying I'll go get it for you, but I'm gonna charge you like a hundred bucks delivery fee <laughs> <laughs> to go to the back. Of I'll, I'll go and I'll like I'll swap the mem- swap the memory cards out, ship it to you, but you're gonna have to pay me a hundred dollars because this is like a half day's worth of work. And uh, Cliff was like, "I'll just wait, I'll just wait." So we're gonna like finally get the memory card out of this game camera and see what's happened for the past year in his little bow hunting spot. Oh my so, gosh! So does he have that hooked up on? solar so technically all the power there or did this thing stop photographing months ago i think it's on i think it has a solar so panel yeah but there's no probably stopped photographing months yeah it probably (laughs) did there's probably like only a month for the pictures you know there's no telling it's probably like things like butterflies and birds so (laughs) so whereabouts is this property sweetwater Sweetwater. near sweetwater oh yeah yeah south of sweetwater Big body deer. It it is hard to hunt with a bow in that area. Yeah, yeah. It's just massive. We, and we have a canyon. We we have a canyon that goes to our yeah. property. And so what you end up doing? What we end up doing? We don't have any feeders, uh, no uh, stands. We typical method for us when we hunt is sit up on the canyon walls and hunt into the canyon. Well, you can see all kinds of deer doing that, and you can see a long way in a lot of areas. But you know, you may be looking at four hundred yards. 
you know, so definitely not bow range. Yeah, definitely not bow range. And so that style of hunting that we traditionally do does not make sense for bow hunting. You can't sit up on a canyon wall and bow hunt. And so it's not that it's impossible, but I think it would take a good spot like Cliff found where he can hang a tree stand, like the one tree on our property you can hang a tree stand in. The one tree that, that the deer avoid. That it kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. has, <laughs> it kind of has a funnel, you know, ish area. I'm sure there's other spots like that, but no one has like put. Like I haven't put the time in to like figure that part of it out. Yeah, but I'm, I'm excited. It's gonna be a good weekend. It's always yeah. fun to go out and and yeah, it's fun hunt, to hang, out. hang out and hunt. Regardless, yeah. I'm gonna be pretty selective this year though. If I see anything, I might hunt with you guys yeah. or hunt with Ian. I don't think Ian's gotten a deer. Um, I might hunt with Ian and try to help him get a deer. Yeah. I'm going to be pretty selective, though, because I still got a lot of meat I need to finish before I am like, last year was necessity. I was like, I'll shoot anything. I need, you know, We're I, need a pandemic. Food for, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I need food for the next year. Who knows what next, uh, what's next to go with HGV. I still haven't finished all my deer meat yet, so yeah. uh, I'm not in a necessity mode, so I'm just going to, I'm going to go uh, be pretty selective, but I'll probably hunt with Ian or something and yeah. try to help him get a deer. I love that that uh the you know that when y'all are talking about hunting the first thing that comes up is the meat component because you know that's there's so many trophy hunters in this state yeah you know and it's really nice to to you know the the thought of going out you know sustainably harvesting you know and and uh to go out and, and the first thing that comes up in y'all's conversation isn't horns, rack, trophies, points, but it's actually, you know, meat on the table. That's great to hear. I, I like that. Um, yeah, I think all of us uh, are. I think, I think probably the sentiment is, you know, if we have two deer in front of us and one is like a 10 point and one is like a four point, obviously. Right. Sure. Who wouldn't like to catch the biggest redfish if you're casting a two redfish? Right. But I think also, like for me, you know, I like the harvesting aspect of hunting a lot, and that oh, gets yeah. me excited. Like we in don't the cooking. We don't buy red meat. You know, we buy chicken and we buy fish, but we don't buy any red meat because we just eat venison. Yeah. What do we? It's a non-GMO, non-hormone. It's everything. Know, pure, yeah. pure yeah. USDA choice. Organic. Organic. It's super lean. I yep. mean, it's oh, low yeah. fat. It's, it's it's good for your heart. High in iron. Yeah. Yeah. It's got it's got all the the stuff that you want when you're spending a lot of money on a grass fed. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like you plus we got hogs, so those are free game for. Yeah. There you go. And that's food too. So. Yeah. No. Yeah. If I if I didn't eat what I killed, I don't. Um. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. Last year we went without Ian. Uh, Carson was there though. Carson was there, so this year we'll have Ian. Yeah. So, so Ian's gonna bow hunt. No, Cliff's gonna bow hunt. Cliff, Cliff is gonna bow Cliff. hunt. He's the. I think me, Zach, and Cliff all have bows. I know Ian doesn't have a bow. I think Cliff is the bow hunter of the group. Like if you asked him what is he, he would you know I'm a bow hunter. First, he would say you know. he would say two things. I am a bow hunter, and I'm a duck hunter. That's true. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. It's really funny because there is that correlation um, between, you know, fly fisherman identify yourself. A lot of times, like, oh, I'm not a fisherman. I'm a fly fisherman. Yeah. <laughs> Bow hunters are kind of the same way. And then you get into that nuance of, well, I'm a fiberglass or, uh, or, or, you know, <laughs> yeah. or I, you know, everything split cane bamboo. And or I, I only I, shoot trad bows. Yeah. Or, and so, and yeah. so I kind of went through that. It was like, you know, I, 
uh, I grew up um, target shooting competition when oh. I was really young and was very proficient with a bow. And I just didn't have the opportunity because it, it's really expensive in Texas. If you don't have somebody or know somebody that has property or lease, um, and then even when you have friends or you have property in your family, a lot of times it's leased out. And so, <laughs> you know, even though it's your family property, you, you, you don't, you're not allowed to hunt there because we have paying customers. That was kind of how I grew up hunting. So I, um, you know, I duck hunted when I was young and, 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 um, but as I got older and got into bow hunting and then, you know, once, you know, uh, I was able to afford a lease or, or get invited on leases. You know, I, I had already gone from, you know, hunting with a rifle to hunting with a compound bow. And then the compound bows got so good that, you know, 50, 60 yard shots with carbon arrows, you know, sights, lit sights, lit pins, you know, I, I went all the way back to, to conventional, I mean, the, the traditional recurve. Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, I, I even went further back. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to hunt with cedar arrows and, 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 and fletch my own arrows with turkey feathers and, you know, found feathers. And then it got to the point where, like, Oh man, I can't hit anything. So, <laughs> you're so, going so far back. Like, so, oh, so, so then it was sort so then of you're like, like, I'm just going to take a spear. <laughs> so pretty soon it, 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 it's like, uh, I don't know if it was my wife or maybe one of my, my daughters who, who have no trouble putting me in my place. So it's kind of like, you know, it's sort of like you're fly fishing. You always have an excuse for not getting anything. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, I, I mean, I shoot pretty new, nuanced. I'm very ethical, so I only take 15, 20-yard shots yeah. with my recurve. And it's like, BS, Dad. You know, you're just bad. <laughs> you're just <laughs> bad. But you've made it so hard being bad that everybody yeah. gives you a break, you yeah. know, because yeah. you're like, oh, you're a traditional, you know. <laughs> and, and, and then I had an opportunity once to, to hunt with some some guys from Kentucky and they were shooting long bows with their own arrows. They were all, you know, they, they got the branches, trued them up, laid them down, made their own shafts, killed dry them, dressed their own things. I was in a three day hunting camp with these guys. And, um, so th this, it was a three day hunt. And with this hunting package, you could get two hogs, a turkey, and a neil guy, each hunter. There was five of them. They left with an 18-foot trailer, flatbed trailer, full of coolers, and there was no more room for meat. Between the five of them, one guy never hunted. He, he just woke up and cooked for him. He was a really big guy, and that was his job. He, he, he kept them fed. These guys were the most prolific hunters. They went out with <laughs> Traditional bows shot three nil guys. All of them got a turkey, and all of them shot two hogs in Dang. three days. We're out there with, you know, optics, you know, <laughs> range finders. You know, I'm shooting like $1,200 Matthews bow. <laughs> These guys were just like, they were the real deal. It was, it was so running around with long bows. <laughs> it, and it was, it was funny because, like, that, that it, was, it was on the King Ranch. Um, and like Ted Nugent had been out there and like he, 
you know, he had hunted for like five days, didn't get anything. And these guys were just like mountain men. Like all I could think was like, no wonder like people have seen the praises of like Davy Crockett. These guys were like, had to be cut from the same stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, so you can kill a lot of stuff with a recurve. Yeah. You just got to be good. You just got to be good at it. <laughs> so I digressed a little there. <laughs> no, well, that's great. Sounds I'll- like a fun hunt. By the way, yeah, oh, yeah no, we're gonna we're gonna have a good, and it's just fun to get out and hang out. I, mean, I haven't seen Ian in a while. Yeah, I don't think any of us have. It's, it's been, been a minute. minute. So let's move on to uh, our articles. Cool. I got a couple actually, but they're all pretty short. First is uh, Florida man. Florida man, no fooling. All right, it's kind of like hold my beer. All right, you know what I'm saying? It's just Florida man. That's all it is. Okay, so this is a little different. Uh, Florida Man article. Uh, this was from uh, WECT News 6 in Wilmington, North Carolina. TW Cast and Recruit Agency is looking for people to be paid extras in the Netflix series Florida Man. Oh. The agency is currently in need of adults in the 20 to 40 year old range from a diverse range of backgrounds. Extras will be paid a guaranteed $80 for eight hours and time and a half for any hours beyond eight. Basically, I just I was looking for Florida Man articles, and I was like, this is perfect for our listeners because we talk about crazy Florida Man stories all, all the time. Netflix if is making you, something. Yeah, they're making a Florida Man show. So if you want to be an extra in a Florida Man show, <laughs> you can go to twcastandrecruit.com and uh, sign up and see if you're selected. I would love to know somebody on that. It'd be cool if we knew somebody that would that had signed up for that. To be on the Florida Man show? Yeah. I wonder if they're going to like reenact. If they're calling for actors, they're probably reenacting stuff. Uh, I think a paid extra is just like they're in the background. Yeah. Yeah, because I know once you have lines, then you are like... Yeah, part of the cast. Yeah. Part of the and cast. And you get paid eighty five dollars. No, I think you get paid ten times the amount as. Uh, yeah, probably. Because so. I think like eighty dollars for eight hours. That's like ten bucks an hour. I mean, Bucky's pays like seventeen. <laughs> yeah, <right>. yeah. <laughs> like that's not good pay. It's more of like the right the to say like, "Hey, I was on this show. You should check it out." Yeah. Uh, whereas I think once you get lines, you're like part of the cast and you're in the credits. Yeah. And. Um, Did you see they're remaking, or not remaking, they're Tiger King season two? I saw that. I also saw that Carol Baskins yeah. is suing Netflix. Yeah, because she's upset about her portrayal. I think per the contract, they agreed on like one season, but they're using footage that they took from season one, from like the original filming, and they're saying like it's a breach of contact contract because we only agreed in the initial contract. They should just call it season, season one B and then you deal with it. You know yeah. What I mean? Se- yeah, season one extra. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one extra. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I saw the preview though; it looked interesting. Yeah, I'll probably watch it. Oh, everyone's gonna watch it. Just yeah. call it not season two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not, not season, season two. two. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Uh, speaking of stuff, because we we both are big, huge movie fans. Mm-hmm. I watched uh, Dune this yeah, weekend. Ooh, what'd you think? I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. They did not do a good job of man- managing my expectations because I thought it was one movie. Oh, I yeah. didn't know they were doing two movies. Yeah. And it's going to be like a year and a half or longer before the next yeah, movie comes out. Yeah, twenty twenty three, I think, is when it's supposed to come out. Which is like dumb. They should have done Lord of the Rings style, film them all together, and release them like, year year, year, year. but like year after year after year. Because I was reading, they haven't even started filming the no, second movie because he didn't even know if he was going to get the money to film the second one. 
He called it part one without even knowing if there was going to be a part two. Yeah, which is weird. That's ballsy. I also think... <laughs> I'm impressed. I'm like, like, a little I, bit. I really liked it. I thought it was good. Yeah, it was great. Should have called Carol. <laughs> <laughs> Get some advice. <laughs> Get all that filming done yeah. at once. Yeah. I thought they should have made it like a Netflix series. What do you mean? Like, and doing like eight, like one hour, like get it as like a Netflix show. Oh. And make it like a little bit longer because I was so interested in it, into it. They're probably not telling the full story even between two movies. But like make it a Netflix series and then I think it would have been like perfect because then you can watch it like either they release one a week or they release it all at once and you can like. Get through the whole thing. I do. I However, am dis- I'm think- extremely disappointed that I have to wait till 2023 yeah. to watch part two. Dude, that's well, like I- two pandemics from now. <laughs> yeah, <I know>. Exactly. <laughs> right. Who knows the next one's going to be. Now, see, I just started reading it this week because I finished the other book. I'm going to need that long to get through it. I've heard it's a tough read. Actually, it's pretty interesting so far. I have high so, hopes. So have, you, have y'all seen the, the Dunes from, from the 80s? I've never, se- I've never seen that one. No, okay, I saw you, pictures you, from it though. You need to go back and watch it because it's like it'll give you perspective of like I heard it wasn't great. It went it wasn't great. <laughs> um <laughs> but from somebody who was like had read the book, like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah. Cause you know, it's kind of the same time that you know, some some ground bait breaking sci fi stuff was coming out. So like you know, Blade Runner and all yeah. that. So um, and I can remember like, and this. star Wars was out by yeah. then. So well, sci-fi had taken off. Yeah. And so it was like, this is freaking amazing. Yeah. And then like just watching the, you know, 60 seconds or so of trailers, I was like, Oh man, like <laughs> if only this was this. <laughs> and, and you guys just like watch it and like, Oh, I could see the string holding that up. It's like my generation. We look back on like those Saturday sci-fi things where the, you know, it's like, I think that's a plate. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. I see a piece of monofilament, you know, dancing that fine saucer yeah. around. So I'll be curious about that. Yeah. No, you you need to watch it. It's good. But maybe wait till 2023 and then you can just, back to part back. two comes out the and you thing, can back to back it. I will say it does need to be seen in a theater though. Like, because. Well, we watched it on HBO Max and I thought it was great. We watched it. On oh, the, you did? Yeah. we watch, It's free on HBO Max. I would see go see it in theater because like there are some things. And I think that's probably where your perspective of it needs to be eight mini episodes is because in my opinion, there are some things that need to be witnessed on a grand scale. And that was one of them. Well, I, I mean, I, all I'm, my only complaint of it is that I have to wait two years for part two. Yeah. That's my only complaint. Other than that, I thought it was fantastic. It was one of those movies where you sit down. And I and when I watched the Blade Runner twenty forty nine, I kind of thought the same thing. Where it's like, in the movie, you're actively thinking like, "Oh man, like this movie is why we have movie theaters." You know, mm. it's to witness it on this. Yeah, there's certain movies. Yeah, like scheme. You know, like yeah. in the movie, I'm actively thinking like, "Oh, this is fantastic." Like I would not want to be experiencing this any other way. You know. Gotcha, Zach. Maybe we need to start a movie review podcast where we I can, can like Devin because. We're, I know me and you both, Cliff, maybe not so much, but yeah. I know me and you like love movies. I, 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 I think it. any movie that has a central character that's a, like a giant sandworm, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it needs to be bigger than your average 70 inch plasma. Yeah. You know, like it, it, it's IMAX, so you can imagine, like, oh, this is bad. Yeah. Well, maybe we need to watch Tremors and Dune. 
like back to back oh, and man. do like a comparison. I love Tremors too. <laughs> I, could I know. totally watch Tremors. <laughs> oh man, Tremors has a special place in my heart. <laughs> it was that movie that like in high school I had like one of those TVs with a DVD player built in, you know. And Whoa, you're a rich kid. Oh, man, that, was, <laughs> <laughs> that was fancy. And I had it about half the year because of my grades. But <laughs> uh, I, And you're a teacher now. <laughs> <laughs> I had uh, Tremors stuck in the DVD player. And so uh, that was the movie every night I would like go to sleep to. was like just put Tremors on and just like, fall asleep. Those Tremors mm. were like, happening. It's great. Nice. That's crazy. So my next article... We need to come up. We need to get a sound clip because it keeps seems like we keep adding segments as this goes on. Uh-huh. Uh, we need a national park news segment because oh. I have two stories. Yeah. What would that be? Like also, this segment could be called. I was thinking of this too. Things we shouldn't have to tell you. Okay, I like that. Yeah, things we shouldn't have to tell you. Okay. First story: National Park Service contacts man seen hitting baseballs into the Grand Canyon. He was basically he was standing on the south rim of the Grand Canyon, like throwing up baseballs and just. Cranking them into the Grand Canyon. Now, oh, I have two thoughts that? on this. <laughs> I have two thoughts on this. <laughs> That's no, illegal. Number one, probably not a good idea to be hitting baseballs in the Grand Canyon. No. Like following like leave no trace principles. Number two, absolutely. I don't think this is newsworthy either. Like this is like in the grand scheme of things, a guy hitting baseballs in the Grand Canyon is like. There's way more interesting things going on, or like people breaking um, far worse rules. No, I got I mean, a million questions. I don't if know it was Barry Bonds hitting like <laughs> right. across the entire <laughs> exactly, or were the baseballs like painted uh, bald eagle legs? You know, no, <laughs> that would be a question. Spot that would out. be a they, ha- new they story. basically though, and this is like they had like a wanted poster, not a like a real one, but they basically had a poster for this guy. Does anyone know this man? And it's this guy <laughs> holding like like throwing up in like mid swing because someone snapped a photo of him and turned him into the National Park Service. Oh, it was like, does anyone man. know this man? We're looking for any contact information. You know, if you know this person, please contact us at this because they wanted to talk to you, the guy. You know he's the worst Little League dad like, oh, yeah. ever. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but you I'll also, cut my boys on the bench. <laughs> <laughs> put my own boys. But you also know he's a high roller because, like, have you bought a baseball recently? They're expensive. How much are baseballs? Like, for a decent one, it's between, like, 8 to, like, $15. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of expensive, I would think, for a baseball. Yeah, I mean, it's not you're not getting your bucket of balls, like, at the driving range. Hey, inflation, man. It's crazy. Yeah, uh, I can remember years ago, like this guy that would drive golf balls off. Uh, uh, well, I mean, I th- I think some of the cruise lines back then you could hit golf balls just from. The- <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know you used to hit shoot skeets, so you're just dumping lead. But you know, I guess they thought, oh, it's a big ocean, that lead will sink down. You know, we're in twenty thousand feet of water, no big deal. But like back in the day, you know, that was a big part of. I can remember my mom winning like a big skeet shooting trophy on a seven day cruise. She oh, like man. took all comers and just like shellacked them. She was such a good shot. That's hilarious. But it was like Great. I would go on a cruise actually if if that's what it was because the whole idea of like slip and slides and all you can eat French fries would get old after <laughs> day two. Day two. Yeah. I mean day yeah. one it would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I yeah I thought this. Two things, like, number one, we shouldn't have to tell you that that's something you shouldn't do. <laughs> number two, it's hilarious that this was a Fox News article and that they, like, made a wanted poster for a guy that hit a baseball or two 
into the Grand Canyon. It's too much America, you know. Like, baseball is America's pastime. But then also, it's like you're destroying a, a national park. It's like, which one do we take? It is linear. Know? I mean, it's it's just the, the whole no trace part of it. I mean, it, there's something about me because I grew up playing baseball, like, you know, it's it's kind of an Uncle Rico thing. You know? <laughs> I get hit this thing across the Grand Canyon. Watch. <laughs> it does have a good Uncle Rico kind of vibe to it, you know. But, yeah. But it's still just kind of uncool. Oh, yeah, for sure. My next thing we should have to tell you, woman burned chasing dog into scalding hot springs Yellowstone National Park. Oh, I just... Seem like this is a recurring article with the Yellowstone National Park hot springs, like couple times a year probably yeah oh yeah well i think we've probably covered this before number one you should have your dog on a leash or in a crate did the dog in a make national it? park the dog did not make it oh no dog jumped into the hot springs woman jumped in after the dog <sighs> she was burned from shoulder to foot basically and the water in the hot springs is 200 degrees fahrenheit oh yeah yeah oh my gosh like a hot, hot tub is like a Significant thermal burns is what they said. Yeah. Uh, the dog was removed from the hot spring, but officials confirmed that it died. Obviously, they want to remind people that pets need to be physically controlled at all times while in the park. This means they either need to be in a crate or kept on a short leash. Well, there's some places they're not even allowed on the trails. Yeah. No, but people people just think their dog is the greatest dog oh, yeah. ever. And it's like, oh, my dog... Always follows the rules, but it's a dog. Like, keep your dog on a leash. Keep your dog in a crate. Go check out the hot springs. Keep your dog in the car. Roll your window down. Leave your car running. I don't know. Like, there's obviously other options, but a dog died and a lady got burned. Like, life-changing burns from shoulder to foot. And not to mention another thing, uh, another leave-no-trace issue is that these hot springs are super fragile ecosystems. And they have boardwalks. You were I haven't been to Yellowstone, but yeah, they, they mentioned the article yeah, that they have boardwalks that they want you to stay on. No, and not disturb. It is very clear. I mean, the boardwalks are a couple feet off the ground. Like it's very yeah. clear. Like you are here. You do not touch anything else. You yeah. Know? If you want to really see uh, humanity at its worst, <laughs> always say go to a national park. <laughs> Especially I mean, now with the overcrowding I, I, issues. Like yeah, I mean we were we were we were traversing leaving a friend's house in Jackson, going up to Dillon. So we went to the park to show it to, to our young kids. And and I, I I can remember there was a, a bend in the road, and the road bent back on itself. So there was this, like, peninsula of land. And then so um, the road goes around it, and, and so there was a bear with two cubs, you know, a grizz <laughs> with two cubs. And, and people had pinned, you know, because the road been around, they had kind of pinched it, and we're trying to get closer and closer. And then there's a caravan of cars. The bear has nowhere to go, so what's oh, it going to do? Right. And, and the people were, like, still, you know, and the park rangers were just beside themselves. So then the park rangers were having to put themselves in danger right. to protect the people who just, like, and, and then, and then, to see the people get mad at the park rangers, like we can't believe you ruined this for us, you know. So it was like it was like every, you know, like 
it, it was kind of almost like I couldn't wait to get out of the part yeah. because it was like, and I, I saw that some of the same thing, you know, like people want young children, the little kid just kind of launches off the, the little boardwalk yeah. and, and that could have been a, a, a scalding incident. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the Rangers are chastising the parents and they're like, man, these people are so uncool and they're so uptight, you know, <laughs> they're like, but you know, I mean, no, but it's not, but it's, no, a, that it's could a sense have been of entitlement very, though. That's, yeah. Well, that's what know. we read about. Shoot. We've been doing national park stories since the beginning. Right. And people will take a baby buffalo, put it in their car, like just stupid crap. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. People just have no, like it's just like, you know, someone gets charged by a buffalo. Someone, you know, I I am. People have no common sense on this stuff. I mean, I I hate to see like people get injured, but I am a fan of buffalo launching tourists in the air and (laughs) oh yeah, and then like oh that was a ten. I mean, she stuck the landing. (laughs) 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 I mean. As much as the buffalo I put up with, you know, living in the United States for the last 150 years, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of like, it's, it's kind of nice to see the buffalo get a win. <laughs> <laughs> Every now and then, especially out there, they just like mind their own business. Yeah. But, man, just like, people are so stupid. Yeah. So, that concludes things we shouldn't have to tell you. I like that. We definitely need a, we uh, need a sound clip for it, though. We definitely need a sound clip for that one. We'll, we'll figure something out. Breaking glass. All right, guys, here's Creature Watch. All right, so today I'm bringing you the story of the Jinn, spelled D-J-I-N-N, also J-I-N-N. Um, it is where we get the name Genie, which I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, when would you guess the Jinn kind of started to make appearances? I'm thinking before the Internet. Yeah, <laughs> before the Internet. We have a rule. Every creature has to be before 1995. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, Chupacabra and, yeah. was 1995, and that kind of, we were there kind of like, oh, that's, are you sure that's even a creature if it's that early? So, yeah. Uh, recent? Gosh. Any hints on that, Zach? Uh, predates Islam. Yeah, predates I, Islam. I mean, just by the spelling and everything, I, I, I thought like kind of that Himalayan, yeah. Yeti, kind of that region, you know, uh, uh Rajasthan, that kind of area. Yeah. And so, and so I was thinking, you know. Early. You know, 7th, 8th century maybe. Yeah. You have a guess? Two. He said 7th, 8th century. Pre-Fox News. Pre-Fox News. Gosh. I wish I knew when Islam started. I, that is just not a fact that's in my head. Um, I'm going to go. Uh, let's just go. Pre, I thought, ooh, I might go like BC. I might go like two, three hundred AD. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go BC. Oh, uh, just BC. Yeah, general. just BC. Every like BC. You, you get every, back. <laughs> everything. If he's going two hundred uh, AD, he gets two hundred and up. I to ninety five. Yeah, <laughs> to ninety five. You get, I get everything. I get everything. <laughs> everything. So you go. You get to go all the way to the Big Bang. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> You get anything before zero. <laughs> wow. uh, so, uh, like I said, a couple of things. I found that around the first century that really started to pop, like, was talked about. Uh, but it did predate Islam in the sense that they were kind of two separate things. It was kind of in Arabic culture. That's right where it kind of popped up. So you were right saying that it kind of came from that that region a little bit, maybe a little bit more Western than that. But 
originally these jinn were known as malevolent spirits in deserts, right? They're typically creatures, very kind of humanoid that would kind of find themselves alone, just kind of like these weird uh, creatures in isolation. Now they like Shrek. Kind of like Shrek, <laughs> right? Get out of the swamp, man. <laughs> uh, they predate Islam, like I said. Uh, they are worshipped as lesser gods originally. Now, uh, once kind of monotheistic religion started growing and popped and like growing, they be- kind of became a catch-all for all spirits, right? So, like in the Quran, it talks about these jinns as like. You know, not good or bad, kind of. They can be either, uh, but they have their gods and they have, like, these gen, right? However, they've kind of followed culture for the last couple of thousand years. They have the power to produce powerful hallucinations, and that's kind of where the genie aspect kind of comes from, right? We think of genies as, like, oh, they have three wishes, right? But what these creatures would do is they can actually read your mind and tell what your, like, greatest desires are. So then what they would do is they'd put you in like in a hallucination state where you received those greatest desires, right? So you would be like perfectly happy, like, oh man, I finally got these things that I wanted, but it wasn't real. It was all hallucination. Meanwhile... Then you get brought back down to reality. Well, no. What would happen is these gems... Sounds like a weekend at Burning Man to me. <laughs> <laughs> Desert creatures. <laughs> However, Weekend at Burning Man would be a good, like, spinoff if you had, like, a Weekend at Bernie's, you know. Where your of. buddy dies, like, <laughs> an hour in. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like a weird crossover. <laughs> like your freaky uncle. <laughs> <laughs> Dressed him up in a mohawk and put him on the back of a bike. And some chaps. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so wrong. <laughs> oh, sorry, guys. Um... So, but the reason why I put you in hallucination state is because they like to drink blood. So, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, they would kind of put you in like a coma, give you everything you wanted and your heart's desires as a hallucination. That way you were just stuck there living your best life while they were slowly bleeding you dry and drinking you. Kind of sounds like a couple of relations I've been in. <laughs> 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 Giving you what you think your heart wants yeah. while they bleed you dry. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little anemic. Uh, so they're humanoid creatures. They have tattooed skin. Uh, they can appear kind of scaly. They also have these, uh, whenever they're actually casting their hallucination, their eyes grow bright blue. So, kind of like Dune, right? Wow. Oh, okay. Maybe all these... Hey, you know what? I did say live in the desert. All these people are really gens. So, they will sometimes enter the dreamlike hallucination just to mess with the victim while they're in their dream state. Right? So, like, if it's like, oh, you're getting what you want, but it can't be too perfect, right? They'll kind of enter it and mess with you a little bit. Um, so, the only way to escape the dream is to die, right? Um, there's also another type of gen that feeds on fear, not blood. So instead of giving you your heart's desires in your hallucination, it would pick up on your worst nightmares and just give you that. Right? So it, basically. Just like it. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, and if you want to know, you can kill it by stabbing them with an object dipped in lamb's blood. That's all these specific and nothing I'd have handy. Yeah. Well, it's probably, uh, well, it's... I got some garlic. <laughs> I got a cross. No lamb's blood. 
<laughs> it's probably kind of like religious adjacent because it or it kind of is in that. You know, you know, we, you know how we, lamb. We've been talking whatever. about like what's in your kit videos, like filming Cliff because he's like geared out for like <laughs> lamb's like, blood. Is no, no, we we need we need a cryptozoology like what's in your kit. We get a Yeti box and we like have oh, like man. silver bullets. A wooden stake across garlic, across garlic, <laughs> lamb's blood. We have all this stuff in like your cryptozoology. Some holy water. <laughs> what, what, what's in your kit? This is perfect. Yeah, I would think we definitely do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you didn't learn anything from the pandemic, you got to stock up. Right, <laughs> got to get your lamb's blood. That's so. <laughs> but you know, it's weird because, like, as you're talking about that, I thought of so much literature and sci-fi scary movies how derivative so much of it is just from that oh yeah you know it's 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 you know i i tell my students all the time it's like it's rare to really come up with an original idea oh yeah you can just come up with your take on somebody else's original well, idea. we've talked about yeah. that in fly time too yeah. if you just symbol it down to fly time like I used to manage a fly shop. I look in a catalog. It's like, how can you be creative when I have like 20,000 variety? Like how many mayflies yeah. are there actually that are original ideas? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's funny because, you know, it's like the, the elk hair cat is. I, I look at that as like, you know, as old school, simple, original, Montana guide, you know. Effective. You know, wanting something that could last more than three or four fish and could get pounded all day would still float. You know, there's there's those flies like that. You know, and like the clouds or minnow. You know, and and but again, too, everything's like it's sort of like when you do the genealogy on a mutt. You know, it's like it has everything. You know, and and you know, it's funny because. You know, a lot of those original flies, not to get off subject, but a, lo a lot of those original flies were without all the, I mean, like when, I, when I'm when i tying flies, I'm thinking about flies, a lot of times I'm not, I'm not thinking about flies at all. I, I'm thinking about the, the tens of millions of dollars of R&D that Berkeley and, 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 uh, Strike King and, and all, all these different companies have put into artificial. And, and I was like, you know, we spend all this time on these collars. And I was like, one day I started doing some research and like, what is the number one color subsurface, you know, bass fishermen, what are they throwing? And it's this kind of olive red flake kind of like a green pumpkin green pumpkin kind of thing and i was like okay that's the number one crawfish for most anglers and a black and blue black and red and so i started crawling i i started tying crawfish not in the traditional red and brown uh, you know or, or orange brown cinnamon colors that almost every pattern i started tying blacks and purples and blacks and reds and they they were really effective yeah. and, and and it's because it's it's you know the, those early guys they didn't have the technology we have now you know definitively 
you know, from a biological standpoint, they know that the fish don't really have the color range that your standard person tying flies or, or, or shopping for flies. You know, it's like, there's a, that thing is like, I can tie flies that catch fish, but it's really from a fly tire standpoint from a commercial. If I want to sell more flies, it's like the, the, you know, God, this looks really good in the if, fly bin. If you want to sell flies, you got to catch fishermen. Got to catch anglers. <laughs> yeah, not fish. not fish. I mean, because because it's really about the contrast. You know, we were talking about this at Oktoberfish. You know, it was like, you know, it's so much of, and and a lot of my flies are really bass and redfish oriented. Um, you know, you could look at the biology of a bass, and 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 so much of their everything they do isn't around visual. It's about vibration, the the hearing, the smell, and then the visual part of it. So flies that make a lot of noise, move a lot of water, create vibration. Um, but more importantly, when I look at color, I, I try to look at them. In a, in, in, and that's one of the things I'll, I'll, I'll tie a uh, fly and I'll take a photo of it, and then I'll, I'll take all the saturation and turn it to black and white and really look at the contrast of it because that's really what the fish are, are seeing. They're, they're seeing the contrast. So a lot of times I'll switch the color of the eyes. Um, but Just to boost that contrast. That's a great idea. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like, you know, you have this technology in your hand, but, you know, as I, I, I read a there's there's so much incredible literature that have been produced by the bait companies, by BASS, by you know a lot of the you know non fly fishing and and um, you know I spent all this time I had this great conversation with a great tire uh, Pat Cohn up in New York and and we were like we were looking at all these molting sequences uh, and in uh, the color variations between crawfish here in the south and up north and and then i was like i'm just gonna tie one that looks like the classic olive pumpkin seed kind of berkeley thing and it was incredibly effective and 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 i can remember another tire going god you know i've just never caught a lot of fish on on olive crawfish i was like but you've probably majority that you've thrown have been brown <laughs> cinnamon and orange crawfish. <laughs> so it's like you ought to just commit one or two trips to just an olive and, and see how incredibly effective it is. But I think it's it, a lot of it is it's the contrast and, and how much vibration of, uh, you know, all the soft plastics that if you look at, at all the soft pie sticks and, and swim baits from conventional in the last, you know, five years, there's a lot of variegation and venting they put on them. So the, the bodies move a lot, but, but they, they create cavitation, you know, uh, you know, a mutual fly fishing friend we have is Jeff Hedges. And, and I love talking to him because he was a submariner, you know, he mm-hmm. was, he was on a nuclear sub. And so I, I like to talk to him about the acoustics and what makes sound and all that because I'm not thinking from a red October standpoint. I'm like, <laughs> you know, the bass is the big submarine looking for the little submarine right. thing and, like, what are tells that it's going to put off. Right, because it's not always going to see it. 
Yeah, might, no, might no, they're going to see it. The, and that's what I love about bass fishing is you can literally make as much noise as you want. Yeah, you can knock on the door. Yeah. <laughs> with, I mean, Jeff, you just made me feel so dumb because I've been really good friends with Jeff Hedges for a long time. And I know he he, uh, he operated a nuclear submarine. Yeah. And like you're now you're asking him questions about like <laughs> what are the tells of like yeah. things in the water. And I'm like, how did how did I not like that is such a good insight to ask someone like Jeff to get a better potential understanding of fishing. Uh, well, that, it's funny that's cause, awesome. because another guy I fish with, uh, a lot, Alex Butler, you know, we're, we're under this thing of, of he has this great saying, when you miss a fish, a lot of times it's the, um, he, he calls it the, um, you lose the expectation of predation. Uh-huh. Yeah, and so it's like, when you're fishing um it's it's staying in that that state of consciousness where you're not enjoying your surroundings and your conversations and the great outdoors too much that you're you're still able to you know front of the brain total awareness this is the cast this is the strip this is when it's going to happen because if you if you if you slip just a little bit um you, you lose that expectation of predation. So, so he and I have these like deep cerebral conversations on a, on a psychological standpoint of like, you know, this or that. The only thing I would say to that is sometimes I've caught my biggest fish when I'm just like, Taking it around, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like my first trout in the quad, I was literally taking a sip of a beer as I'm like one hand casting, and I pull this yeah. huge brown. I'm like, like. You know, it's uh, we talk about the one percent rule. Like, what are things you can do to make you one percent more likely well, to to be you, successful? You know, it's funny because I, I I have a re- retired guide friend, Mark Smith, of a Durango, and, and and he and and he's the master of the no looky hooky. Uh-huh. You know, he he's like talking to you, drinking a beer, smoking a cigarette, not paying attention, and then he just lifts his rod and was like. Dude, you just hooked a fish. You even watching that? And, and he's like, "Yeah, that's just how I roll," you know. <laughs> so there are some people that are the masters of yeah. the, of the not paying attention and doing really well. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the rest of. Us. And then there's the rest of. Yeah, who maybe get lucky one time and you're like, "Okay, there you go." It's so nice out there, out there in the Mexican markets where chili stretch in the sun, high in the mountain air between backcountry skis and kids doing the first snowplow. Or next to the pool after a long day of forgetting what day it is. We're all here to get out there and come home more us than the us that went away. And when you save on travel as an Expedia member, you can travel even more. It's so nice out there. So let's go. Expedia. Made to travel. Terms apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by HP. When you're working apart from your team, feeling connected can be a challenge. Presenting HP Presence, a more thoughtful, human collaboration technology. With enhanced audio and video features, you can experience more genuine collaboration and feel more connected. Be in the room, from any room, with HP Presence. Learn more at hp.com forward slash presence. All right, guys. I think we got Cliff joining us in. Yeah. I'm finally here. Hey, Cliff. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Hey, how are the uh, how are the Braves doing? You know, I haven't even looked tonight yet. Um, oh boy! So I don't know. Let Let's uh, see if I'm 
disappointed or when people I honestly it. before it loads up I want to say I honestly think that the Astros are probably going to tie it up tonight. I think Braves are going to take it to seven. Uh, I don't know. I think if it goes to seven, I think it's anybody at that point because the Astros will have the momentum. But as I say that, it finally loads. Braves are up by three at the end of the fourth. That's like you know, I don't want to say anything, but I do want to say uh, you know. I just feel like so after game five. It was a bunch of, like, the Braves were up for so much of it, and then there were some stupid mistakes, like, stupid mistakes made in, like, the last part of the game. Yeah. And to tie, to bring Houston to win it by, I mean, it ended up being, like, 9-5. Yeah. Like, it was ridiculous. I mean, mean, that's, I think that is the World Series where – you know, players who spend a whole lifetime perfecting their craft have one bad second. Yeah. You know, I agree, but it, it almost for a pitcher can happen. It almost know. makes me want. You know, like the old saying, "Money makes the world go round." MLB, if they would have let it end at Game Five, you're missing out on a lot of money because these stadiums—they're legitimately charging over a thousand dollars for upper. Deck outfield standing room only space. Yeah, tell me about it. And it wow. It why ended at game five when you can take it to game seven? So I don't oh, know. So I, there's a little bit of conspiracy. I'll say in you're there. a little conspiracy. There's about a little cons- conspiracy in it, but no. T- I don't trust know. me as a uh, Giants fan. I'll tell you. Uh, yeah, I wish the NLDS would have been gone to seven games and not five. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I was always a National League person until the Astros went over to the American League, and then, and then of course the Astros have the one pitcher that can hit, which is yeah. kind of cool, you know, which you don't see in the American League, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, no. So, but so then he's not put to any good use, you know. Yeah. Unless, I, they, unless they play, he kind of, he kind of, you know, he he definitely they rallied around him with that game five or what, Granky? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just think if the Braves don't win tonight, I think that it was planned. That's how I'm going to say it. I don't know. I don't Neither know if anybody. I don't know if anybody MLB wants the uh, Astros to win. I mean, how, nobody I mean, in the MLB wants everyone in Houston. I mean, how does how does it work? Do you get if it keeps going, you keep getting game checks? So it's probably I good don't know for the players. The, I, don't <laughs> know, I, mean, I, I don't know about the players because they're all, like, contracted. Yeah. Stuff, well, they all have so big they, bonuses if they win the World Series, and I'm sure it's way more than whatever they're getting to play an extra game. Yeah. Some of those guys have, like, millions of dollar bonuses. Yeah, I don't, think, I don't think it's the players who are, like, going to intentionally throw it, but I think MLB might come up and be like, hey, Braves, let's, that, let's let the Astros win this one so we can keep this uh, that's, series that's going. That's not happening. Well, I mean, if you yeah, guys are competing at the highest level. No, think about it, though. No, I'm not going to think about it. These guys are competitive at the highest level. They have trained every day of their life to be competing in the World Series. They're not going to throw a game. Yeah, I agree. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't know. This is baseball we're talking about. I mean, <laughs> now let's go back Astros 100 years ago. Cheat. Now the Astros might cheat to win a World Series. Good baseball is good cheating. <laughs> I play baseball. Every person that plays baseball. You know, the, the, one, the, the, the one thing that uh, uh, as a player when you're like, guys, I think we have their signals down. I mean, it's, it's like it's such a wonderful thing when you figure it out as a ball player. I mean, everybody's doing it to take it to the 
to take it to the level of the Astros. I mean, I think that's the line for uh, me. Is that because you know everybody? I don't know. On, I'm all about ingenuity. Everybody, <laughs> you know, everybody on second base is trying to read the pitcher. But here's yeah. here's you know. what I'm thinking: is that most ball clubs this these days, they're also real estate companies, like outside Trust Park yeah. or, or Truist Park for the Braves. Is that whole battery section? Yeah. yeah, the Rangers have it too. Astros don't really have it, so I don't see how they it equates with them. But I have found out that the battery in Atlanta can hold just as many, if not a little bit more, people in the battery itself as the stadium. Yeah, didn't they say like the whole thing can and hold people, like a hundred thousand people? People go there to watch the games to experience Even if they don't everything. Yeah, foods jacked up in cost, hotel rooms jacked up in cost. Drinks jacked up in cost, and then I've heard the Astros actually will allow people to come into the stadium when it's an away game and watch it on the big jumbotron. But they still charge a price, a ticket. So there is money to be made. All yeah, but around. I'm telling you, I'm look, I Cliff. If we had to say there's a conspiracy guy in our group, it's definitely you. <laughs> okay, but every I'm group not, needs that. Yeah, every, it does. It pushes us. Be- it makes us better. It, it does. <laughs> But I'm not saying that Look, guys like competing Apple. at the biggest, at the highest level, they have been trained their whole careers to get a World Series ring. They're not throwing a game to just so we can play one more game. Because what if they throw a game and that gives the other team, no. you know? Because, no. like, uh, to be honest, a sweep in the World Series is just as exciting. If it's oh, not, no, I if agree. It's not your team. If it's a true sweep, though, but it's proven it's not going to be a true sweep after game two. I'd like to see what the bonus structure is for umps. I don't know. So, I don't know so we have two conspiracy. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not definitely one side or the other. But I, I, I'd like to have more information. I, I listened to this great <laughs> podcast talking about uh, the world of being an umpire. They did not discuss payment, but being uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty interesting, it, though. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, you know, there's there's the whole Masonic Freemason umpire kind of. You know, I I'm sure there's a movie out there. You know about oh, yeah. that. You know? Yeah, I I'm I always sure. thought there should be a movie. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, 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 of uh, Best of Show and that whole genre. Oh yeah. So yeah. why is it there one about like because I mean I had a, I had a daughter that played softball, and like you would see the same aunts. They run in this like crazy like group. They're sort of like carnies. They live out of their cars and. And they kind of go paycheck to paycheck, ball field to ball field. I, to me, that's like, you know, kingpin meets best of show. But it's about these omps, you know, because right. they're they're a swirly group. You that know? would be a great it, mockumentary. And, and, and they and they that are on NFL refs. Yeah, yeah, and they have like super tough skin. You know, the only thing is, I think that like I know the names of several MLB umpires. I don't know any names of. NFL refs, you know what I mean? Like, umpires almost have their own character, you oh, know? Yeah. Like, was it Joe West? Yeah. The guy who just set the record for the most games ever umpired. You know, he retired this year. My but question is, so do they make baseball cards for the umpires? I have a baseball card for Joe West because he set that record, you know? So they made a record-setting baseball card for him. Mm. But yeah, I don't think anybody's like, you know, like, I got to have that. No. <laughs> what is it, Angel Hernandez? Yeah, I'll trade you my tight car because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nobody's making a car for Angel Hernandez. I can tell you that much. Yeah, no, I mean, I I like it. I mean, I I, I I've always had an affinity for baseball because you know the the 
there's just for every good story, there's like the really bad stories, and you know, uh, you know, fish. You know, uh, there's a great, uh, good friend of mine, uh, Dylan Mendoza. He was a he was a college pitcher. He pitched at A and M, and uh, we we were talking about like you know the grueling like schedule of minor league players. And this one, there's this minor league player that like his Instagram is just the shit he gets fed every day as a minor league player. And it's like a piece of bologna, white oh, bread. Yeah. It's literally like prison food. Like they, the, the, they like spend the bare minimum on these players. You know, they have to feed them technically by like contract, but the crap they feed them like a PB and J and Cheetos, you know, but this guy has like, and so, like, we were just talking about how brutal my – because I asked him, you know, why didn't you go to the next level, you know, successful collegiate career, you know, what? why didn't you go to the next level? Do you think you had what it is for the bigs? And, and then the whole thing is, like, everything kind of goes to the minor league, no matter how good you are. And, and even great players might spend three, four, five seasons in the minor leagues – and then we got on this like totally sad story about this minor league player that was literally traded for 10 bats. Oh, like, that's, a- <laughs> and then, and then later that, that player actually committed suicide. And you think about like, like the psyche of like, I yeah. had like literally my, I mean, bats are expensive, but like, right. I but, mean, <laughs> but you're looking at maybe two, three grand for a, <laughs> right. for a MLB, like, legit bat i mean even that would be a high price for those but it's not just like the and i don't mean by one bat i mean by 10 like you no but two three hundred dollars so that that's your worth you know yeah like like i mean that had to be a contributing factor you know it's like wow yeah i was worth 10 louisville sluggers yeah and one of them was cracked (laughs) (laughs) none of them were but we digress as usual huh Jeff, so what do you, okay, so what do you, you have a lot of jobs. What Will you kind of walk us through all of the things that you're involved in right now? So, yeah, so primarily I, I'm a professor at Texas State. I've been there 23 years. Uh, the Shout out to alumni. Yes, it's, it is formerly Southwest Texas, but I identify with Texas State for better or for worse. But, you know, I grew up in the outdoors, outdoorsy parents. Um, you know, my mom was from Corpus, so, you know, the beach was a big part of my life, the coast. And uh, so I have that, I and I teach graphic design, so I'm also a practicing graphic designer. I've been in the profession for over 30 years, and so I still do a lot of design. Um, and then I, I have the uh, guiding you know, um, and then more recently I started Hefe Fly, and that's kind of bringing to market guide flies, um, flies that, that, you know, guide interpretations of existing flies. That That's a good point to bring up a question that we just got. Blacklisted Fishing asked, tell us why you only keep flies down to three materials. So, I, I mean, apart, I mean, first of all, with, with all the supply chain stuff right now, it, it, it was the smartest thing ever. I just didn't realize <laughs> it. You know, I mean, fly materials are like gold now, yeah. you know, like, um, but 
uh, simplicity, you know. I mean, the the nature of guide flies is you, you worked all day, you came home, and you look in your box, and you're like, oh, crap, I don't have time to go to the fly shop. And then a lot of them was like, of course you don't have the right hook or the right material. So a lot of it was just economy of scale, break it down to the simplest things. But I, I, I'm a real big fan of, you know, a fly has to have a hook, right? It's got to have a business in. Eh. It's debatable. <laughs> I mean. Unless it's a rope fly. You know, and, and of course, if it's going to, you know, it needs a business in, you know whether you consider the business in the pointy end or the the part you tie your fly line, but it's got to have a hook. If it's subsurface, it's got to have weight, whether that's going to be eyes or something, and then it's it's got to have material so it looks like something, you know. Um, and so, um, you know, uh, when when the pandemic happened, um, I, ran, I ran a thing uh, um, where it was the, the – the two material thing. Everybody got a, a set of eyes of some type, a hook, and then two materials. And, and I, uh, I mean, flies have gotten so incredibly complicated. And, and then I, as I think about it, some of the most simple flies are really two and three pat, you know, so I think that's a great question. Um, a lot of it is is I'm not a really good tire. I mean, I'll be the first person. Like when I look at Matt Bennett works, or I look at my buddy Ryan Gold. You know, the, the uh, hair stacking. Yeah, we're gonna get Ryan on the podcast. He's yeah. flies are just they're they're sick. But yeah. it's like for you know, first of all, you got to do a great job, and and then you got to have like this incredible like Leonardo kind of sculpting thing. <laughs> And then, like, oh, crap, I made one little slip or this razor blade wasn't sharp enough, and I just ruined this thing, you know. It's sort of like with the articulated flies, too, you know. There's no doubt that articulated flies, you know, they create vibration. They create this, you know, they're, they're going to trigger, trigger predatory things because there's a vulnerability. There are many submarines. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> a mini articulated submarine. Um, but anyway, I think that's a great question. A lot of it is just necessity and, and, and it's expensive to tie flies, you know, yeah. the, the, it, it's sort of like the, the person was like, I'm going to save money. Like, flies are really expensive. I'm going to start tying my own. And it's like, mm, I mean, you don't come out ahead tying your own no, fly. It, Unless no, you no. only fish one type of fly, that's about the only now, way I one can of the, see it. One, one of the cool things is I, I, I was tying some stuff the other day and I opened up a package. I looked at it and I was like, Oh my God, you know what, what a trip down memory lane. I bought this from anglers edge in Houston, like 1990. They haven't been in business since like 92 or 94, <laughs> 95. So it's kind of cool. So I'm like, man, I got my money's worth. I paid like two ninety nine for this and I'm still using it. But, but materials are getting more and more expensive. And, and, of course, we're using a lot of brushes now. And, and so I was like, I'll make my own brushes. <sighs> nope. No way. Like, <laughs> worst mistake of my life. I have, a, I have a, I have a, uh, like a setup to make your own brushes. And it's like. <sighs> Do you ever actually do it? Uh, I have made my own brush. And I have tied flies on the brushes. And they look great. But is it worth the extra effort? 
to make your own brushes. And I'm I, a hard no on that. I'm gonna <laughs> say like, like you're like no. I know for a fact probably it is not. not. I it, it's sort of the like, only thing <laughs> that because I you know you and Kevin Hutchinson like sounds like you'll have the same mentality. Like I don't want to tie a fly that if I get stuck in a tree, I'm gonna be crying over it. Yeah. I'm not gonna go swimming for flies. You know, like guide flies. This thing is works. It's a couple materials. It's effective. I can tie it in five minutes or less. The only thing I go above and beyond on is like I I have a, a airbrush and I will airbrush like pop oh, heads. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like nothing to me looks better than like a beautifully painted airbrush. airbrushed yeah. popper. But like nothing else when I tie flies do I like go above and beyond. I I have this you know to to take the absurdity of and uh, going back to that question of two materials i just ordered a bunch of material all in white and i'm like screw it i'm just gonna mark it i mean <laughs> i have an artist background i i actually took a whole class in color theory so like i'm gonna put this degree to use so like <laughs> yeah because i pull up a fish and i just start with my markers and 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 um matt bennett's a great example of this you know it's like you know to keep like White, off white, yellow, uh, almond color, all these well, different materials. And I know on thread too, like, oh, yeah, 100 colors of thread, you know, if you want your thread to match your fly, or you just buy white, <laughs> you keep a couple markers, and when you finish your fly, because most threads cover anyway, you take a marker and color it, and right. then whip finish your fly, and right. you can't yeah, even tell the difference. Color the nose, yeah. or whatever. So, you know. Somewhere there's like the guy, you know, one of the guys, one of the big fly, uh, the one one of the big thread guys like, yeah, we're getting this guy. Yeah, <laughs> no, but we're gonna get a season. But again, too, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, you recommend every we thread. Can, yeah. But it, uh, again, too, then then it's like okay, like then it's like, um, I I can remember fishing with this incredibly talented guy, Jeremy Garrett out of Montana. The guy's just like his mind, the way he works. And we'd be fishing a fly, and like fish snubs it, and he comes in. He doesn't change flies. He pulls out this like fifty nine set marker set <laughs> from Hobby Lobby, and and he's like, look, and he gets this one color and and does a little thing, and then we float the fly, and like we start hammering fish. And I was like, you gotta be. <laughs> and all I did was just one little thing, <laughs> and I was like, so. This is like another level that I got to bring to this game. Now, probably it was he's fishing. I mean, when you really get to it, it was like he grabbed a handful of these flies. It's no secret, you know, they're they're, they're hitting these scuds or something. You know, we're on the beaver head. And, and it was like, so everybody's throwing pink scuds. But he added this little bit of orange or whatever the color was. And it's like. Oh shit! I haven't seen that. Tonk. Yeah. yeah. You know. So it, what? So what you're saying is tie all your flies in white. <laughs> go to Hobby Lobby. And get your marker on. <laughs> get, get get a sixty piece marker set. And then on the uh, river. And this on the river, just pull and, your markers out and color a fly. You know, as fast and retying. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny because I I see these people like all of a sudden because like one of the things I love about fly fishing is like the level of like things that people are putting into their packs now. Like, I love it. You'll see somebody, like, break out a full-on hibachi and do, like, a literally, like, a five-star meal on the side of the river. <laughs> so, like, 
why not bring like a 60 marker set and a little easel and then like, you know. what What's funny is since we've started doing this, I've started bringing like way less gear, like yeah. like maybe like a little container of like five or six flies. Yeah. I've also found more enjoyment of like, I did that video of like fishing the fish taco fly. That my that our buddy Kurt yeah. that our buddy Kurt. I've seen a picture of that, and I was like, oh, oh God, yeah, great. and like I get a lot of enjoyment of like doing stuff like that. Like with William, I there's a great story of me fishing with William and fishing a flounder fly. That's just like a piece of leather on a hook, but it looks like a flounder. And like I get a ton of enjoyment out of like catching fish on like these obscure yeah. things. But now like. Now that we've been doing the podcast and YouTube and like now it's like I got to take camera gear and like all this other stuff. It's like, well, my fly kit gets smaller and like now my pack's just like, like it's, camera it's, equipment. It's sort of like I, I brought one of my Patron frogs, which is – and throwing it to redfish and watching them like eat eat a frog. It's like, <laughs> dude, this is a Laguna Madre. Like there are no bullfrogs. I'm pretty sure there's no bullfrogs. And they're just like – you know, yeah. it's sort of like – that vulnerability, aggression, they're like, I don't know what it is, but, man, that Something. looks good, yeah. you know, so. I wonder how, like, a snake fly, like a tiny snake fly would work out there. <laughs> well, uh, so our buddy uh, Hunter, who's been on the podcast, uh -huh. Hunter Barcroft, yeah, he tied a rattlesnake fly and gave it to another guy to take on the Pecos, but it's a spun deer hair rattlesnake. Like tied like a game changer on joints. Oh boy! And I'm like, dude, that took you like four days to tie. I know for sure, but it looked it's, beautiful. It's got like 180 dollars in materials. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, and of course, like if he's like most of those guys, he it actually has the the, the diamond back pattern. No, it had a pattern. <laughs> yeah, and it was like no, they, tapered, oh, and like man. it had like With a little rattler. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it had rattles. Yeah, But you know, I I caught a. a a really big trout years ago and and, and uh on the on the greens cut you know on west matagorda it was a big trout and and, and that's at a, a a time of my life the dark time when i i kept everything you know i i, I was as bad as they come trophy big trout hunter you know like can I get a stringer of all nine pound trout, you know, tight. That was the mindset early twenties, you know, I'm glad I got past that. Every, every once in a while, a picture will show up on Facebook from one of my friends. Like, Hey Davis, remember this stringer? It's like, Oh, <laughs> you know, it's like, dang, I was the worst of the worst. But I can remember I, every time I would clean the trout, the, my favorite thing was open up his stomach. I mean, I've found mice. I've found incredible things that you just wouldn't think. Baby ducks. But I found in, in a big trout, it was probably a 28-inch trout, it was about 11.5-inch rattlesnake. Really? Oh, awesome. So, so you know, it's, I mean, and, and, and man, if you walked around the grass or the, the backside of the dunes, you know, especially Laguna Madre or St. Joe's, there's plenty of rattlesnakes. Oh, yeah, I mean, I've heard I mean, stories. Ch I think I think it was Chuck Neiser got bit on the toe by a rattlesnake. I, I don't know how many close encounters I've had with rattlesnakes marching around, going from lake to lake. Uh, back before we had, you know, good polling skiffs, we did a lot of wading in those lakes, and we saw a lot of rattlesnakes. Uh, So, Jeff, that's do you have any good fishing stories from you being a guide? Man, I have, I, I have a, a <laughs> bunch of good few. ones. I, you know, I have one of like 
kind of like cool wild animal stuff, you know. I mean, um, one day I was going up the river with some some folks. You know, I mean, the, the so for for context or just geolocating. So we we put it at Little Weberville. It's a little Travis County Park. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but you're just outside of Austin. You know, I mean, you, you're still in. You're in Travis County. You're. I think you're out of uh, Austin city limits and and we're jetting up the river kind of does this, this weird, um, little ref uh, left, right turn. You go through a really skinny riffle that you wouldn't think a, a jet boat could make it up. And as I'm coming up, I see something. I mean, it's, it's early. So it's, it's first light. Sun's been up just a few minutes. It looks like a large dog. And I was like, oh. So I'm thinking. Chupacabra. (laughs) Dawned on me. No red eyes, no horns. Yep. Of course, I've seen a lot of chupacabras. So I I, I was pretty able, I was able to like. Distinguish pretty easily. Like, no, this isn't a chupacabra. But I thought it was a large female dog, like, moving her, her litter. And then I realized, holy crap, that's a mountain lion with a piglet in its mouth. What? So this this was a this was a mountain lion. Okay, this is not far from like Austin Colony, you know, subdivision. Uh-huh. So they have no idea. Like this is probably a hundred and sixty pound mountain lion. Not sure if it's male or female, but it probably had a forty pound, fifty pound piglet in its mouth, just like dunk 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 across this riffle. It kind of broadsided, and and my client and I were just like. No way. Oh, like, yeah. like, at first, like, we were, because we were like, is it? Now, I have a question for you. You sure it wasn't a bobcat? It was not a bobcat. <laughs> it, it didn't, it, it, it Hardy, 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 hard, Landon. No, that was it, a dig at Cliff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it had the long tail. Uh-huh. Uh, my buddy has a great bobcat. Uh, he, he, one day he was, he was climbing into his blind you know, it's like four thirty in the morning. He opens the door, and there was a bobcat had climbed into his blind. Oh <laughs> man! And like, really cold. The cat was like not really happy about being woken up, and this kind of like tough full, this this kind of scuffle, this like jumping off this tower blind. Bobcat guns, like how like nobody got severely injured, but I, yeah, so. Yeah, bobcat. But no, it wasn't a bobcat. I mean, it, it was a full-on mountain lion. And so, um, you know, uh, they, you know, Hornsby Bend, that, that park and that big treatment facility there in, in East Austin, you know, they've had mountain lion sightings there off and on. So, you know, you know, mountain lions are so, – so that's cool. I mean, you know, so that's kind of from a wild animal one of the cooler things. I mean – I remember one time, uh, uh, I think it was Alvin and I were f- floating on the San Marcos River, and it was kind of after, I mean, excuse me, it, it was on the Loco, really close to town. There had been a flood, so there was a lot of rafted up debris and garbage and, and things. And uh, I see an arm, like a human arm sticking out of a, of a trash pile, but it's like a small, like, child. Oh. And I was like, oh, my God. It's like, you know, kid got swept in the river. And then, then we realized it was like one of those, it, 
I mean, I've had daughters, so I can relate to this. They they make these like quarter scale dolls are called American dolls or American something. American girl dolls. Yeah. And, and so this was like. I have nieces, man. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I think they come from Georgia too. So. Oh, my God. Clearly looks so uncomfortable. Yeah, I like, had to put that qualifier out there. Like, I have just, nieces, man. You'll just collect them? No. But my sister, my sister, growing up, my sister did have Come on, let's go to Cliff. My uh, daughter. Or not my daughter. You sorry. have a daughter? No. Oh, live. Whoa, whoa, whoa. My sister's <laughs> daughter. <laughs> Keeper. And a son that I think I know about. <laughs> uh, my sister had one growing up, and then her daughters have them gotcha. as well. And they all look like them. That's, like yeah. my mom or yeah, my yeah. sister's looks like, like my sister. So, okay, so you found this. So so finally, I'm like, oh, my God. You know, we get close. and And then... I'm like, wait a minute. That's like too, too pristine, and like, I know what an, I know what a a body looks like when it's been drowned, exposed. You know, when I when I was a kid, I remember I was surfing, and my friend was like, he he hit a dead body in uh, in Freeport. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, so like funny, it, 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 it washed up on the beach. So like I was like, okay, like. You know, when a body's been out there, it kind of like this gnarly grayish kind of thing. So, like, finally, I was like, okay. And then, but I like it fooled us for a, enough to be really freaked out. Like, yeah. oh man, like, should we call nine one one? Da da da. So that's one of the like freakier things. the 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 weirdest thing, like, my clients have ever hooked. You know, like I had these like two young like party like mid-20s, like, super fun clients. They're drinking on the river. Indicator's down. I was like, set, set, you know? And I was like, man, that fish is fighting weird, you know? But I'm pretty sure it's a fish. But, like, the current, you know, we're in a pretty currenty section of the water. Gets down. I was like, man, that's, you got a stick or something. It's not a fish. It reels it in. And it was just, this really large, like, pair of granny panties. Like, <laughs> like, nice. like, on a size 22, so we're laughing, you know, there's, like, the whole 2020 club, you know, where you catch a 20-inch trout on a size 20. So, But but the, I was like, man, you're in the 2060 club because that's, like, 60-inch weight. So it was like, and then, like, then we started thinking of, like, like how? how did Why? They, how? <laughs> Grandma got busy on the riverbank. You know, home. but but I, like, I mean, I've had somebody catch an ACDC concert T-shirt once. Like it was like, like, hey, this is an ACDC T-shirt. Cool. It's just you know, you spend enough time on the water, you'll see some freaky stuff. I mean, it. Um, salt water. Um, salt water. I've seen some pretty kind of interesting stuff you know i mean um of course you know uh fish in the keys you know in in, in the 80s square bell groupers you know you know big bales of weed and cocaine were really common like like there there wasn't a charter captain they can go a week in the 80s in the keys without hooking those so it's called it, so. a square bell grouper <laughs> yeah that's what they call them. i have square, never square, heard that. square groupers i, I, okay. I think is a tar- i mean it, there, there was a, you know, of course, you know, in sport fishers, you'll you'll fly flags, you know. So we, you know, you know, we got bluefin today, or you know, we got 
sailfish or we got a marlin, you know, Dorados, you fly flags, right? Uh-huh. So it was pretty common, like, people at, like, marijuana fly. Like, uh-huh. So the Coast Guard knows, yeah, we caught a bail, we're bringing it to you, we're not, you know, and we're not trying to hide this. Gotcha. But, but mm. like, I, I think my mom, there was a while, I think she had three trips in a row in, in the Keys, you know, they had a place down there, and my brother was captaining for, for her and her husband, and I, I think she, like, was three for three one week. <laughs> I was like, oh, another bail, you know? <laughs> so, it's, uh, but yeah, it, it always freaks me out, like, the stuff you hear, you hear about stuff, you know? Um, but, you know, that, the, 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 the. You know, the the wild critters on the river are always a treat, you know. I've yeah. seen a really good uh, two bucks go at it for, like, 15 minutes on the river once. That was kind of cool. That's yeah. awesome. We saw yeah. a deer with a broken leg. Yeah, last, last time we went out. Yeah. Oh. I saw I've the, seen turkeys in full strut on the land. I saw the prettiest axis buck I've ever seen decomposing in a river. I, I um, One day I, I witnessed, like, the, the, the best, like – whole natural tom thing we were floating i you know i i hear some some hen chirping i look over i see four or five hens i see this really you know good looking uh uh tom and he's like full struck gobble 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 and then all of a sudden you know we we were we were on a section of the guadalupe um by ingrams right there it was it was big cliffs they're like 100 feet and all of a sudden, I look down in this, like, it looks like an eagle, giant, like, you know, flying down. It's the the biggest turkey I've ever seen. He just lands. And then I realize, man, that is the biggest turkey I've ever seen, this big, giant beard. And he goes over to that, that first Tom I saw and just whipped his but I mean, it was just like <laughs> quick too, and that Tom goes off, and he, and then and then that big Tom that swooped down, he just like gets those hens, and and you know, you know, it's like the whole conquest. But me, me, and me and my clients were like, that was the best part of the day. I mean, the fishing was like good; it was a beautiful day. But that was amazing watching that, you yeah. know. To to uh, and and now you know like. You fish up north, eagles are like, oh, big deal, it's an eagle, you know. And growing down here, growing up here, like eagles just, you never saw them. And now, you know, now the section of the, the Colorado I fish and the 40 or 50 miles I cover, you know, there's six or seven nesting pairs now. So that's kind of cool to see. Really? Yeah. That's really neat. You were mentioning before the podcast, you were on the Guadalupe one time, maybe with Alvin, and there was a, something with tubers but you never got into it oh yeah it was like latter part of the season for trout yeah it was trout fishing it was early december it was a a father i want to i want to say the father was a doctor the oldest son was a doctor and then there was another son that was the non-doctor you know (laughs) we'll just leave it at that and so um you know when you're on the river that time of year you're starting to hit the early spring breakers. So some of the northern schools from like Wisconsin or Indiana, they're 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 down here. Um, it's a little too cold to be at the beach, but for whatever reason, a lot of them will 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 come and camp out and, and do the whole Guadalupe thing. And of course, it's like kind of marginal, you know, whether it's too cold to to float. But 
you know, they're coming from Wisconsin, so like. They're used what? to 50, 60 degree water. Yeah, this anyway. is awesome. You know, it's like 75 degrees sunny and the water is only 50. Yeah, <laughs> and they're like, yeah. this is great. It's <laughs> tropical. So we, we, we kind of like, we round this, we're, we round and we get in this kind of lakey section and there's just a flotilla. And so, so I have, uh, I can't remember if it was on Alvin. I think Alvin had the father and, 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 and the other, doctor son and then i had the other one and then like we go by and, and it's like the classic thing they got a beer bong and all that and they're like come on do some beer bongs with this so so like you know that was kind of fun like as a guy watching your client like completely like professionally do a beer bong that put the college kids in awe you know this <laughs> this guy's like in his 30s and he was like let me tell you something kids like, you know, <laughs> Like we invented beer bongs, but it was it was kind of fun to watch. Like you know, during the middle of a fishing trip, you know, your your client stopped just for a casual beer bong. Yeah, and, and, and like the dad was like, I, I can't. Remember. I I seem to think the dad wasn't really amused by that. You know, he was probably paying for the guide trip. He's like, we're not here to beer bong. You know, we're here to catch <laughs> trout. You know? It was kind of fun, you know, to 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 watch that. Oh but, man, but uh, the Guadalupe is always. You know, it, it never disappoints in the weirdness kind of, you know, there's always something kind of funny going on. Always a story. You know, especially as you get towards the end of the season, you start getting like, you know, lots of more traffic, you know, lots more traffic, more people. You start getting the, the, the adventure tubers who are like, you know. Testing the waters. Yeah, we, I, we had another one where, you know, late, I did a late afternoon with some clients and we round this corner. I mean, the sun's setting. It's probably already 55 degrees. It's been a really warm, beautiful, sunny day. Probably got in the high 70s, but the sun's going down. All of a sudden, it's dropping quick, you know, bluebird. And, and, and I see these two tubes, and it's this guy totally passed out in a tube with a cooler as we get closer, the cooler lids owe me. All the beer's gone. This guy's, like, passed out. So, so like, I did the classic, feathered the oar, popped a little water on him to, like, wake him up. And, uh -huh. like, that shot of cold water hits him. And the guy wakes up, like, furious, like, angry drunk, like, you know. Angry that and, you splashed water on him? Oh, just angry. Okay. And then he sees, like. Angry that he missed his takeout. <laughs> oh, and then, like, so. I, I'm looking at the markings on the tube, and I was like, oh, crud. Like, your takeout, you're still like, you have like two more river miles to go. So a couple the hours. The sun's setting. You're drunk. Hypothermia is going to set in, you know. I'm, I'm like thinking like a dad or also you like guide, you know. We have all this training for first aid and everything. Yeah, I was yeah. like, man, that's not good. I was like, look. I was like, hey, man, like, uh, look, if I was you, I would just, you, right here, you're kind of in this no man's land. I know the guy that owns this property. I don't mind saying something to him, you know, so he doesn't press charges on you. But I would just hop up here, go to the road, throw out a thumb, because, like, and the guy just, like, you <laughs> it was oh, like man. he was like angry drunk <laughs> and he was like and y'all stole my beer I'm like dude we didn't steal your beer you know like just like beer. and he's like where are my friends like i don't know where your friends are but you're in an eddy 
passed out, you know? It's like, and so the guy just kept, like, cussing us out. So I kind of just, like, you're on your own, dude. And I, I still wonder about that <laughs> poor guy. I, I do know that, like, you know, you have a certain amount of time till you have to turn in those tubes. So, like, and, and you have to leave a driver's license with him. So, yeah. like, he has no, like, credentials. <laughs> Cold wet. I'm like, what the heck are you thinking? So, like, the Guadalupe doesn't disappoint and, and things like that. There's always, like, every season, you know. Uh, Jeff, how did you get started in fly fishing? Man, it's uh, – I, I grew up fishing. It was, it was really funny. I had, like, my parents loved the outdoors, but my, my dad loved everything about the outdoors, but he hated fishing. Like, my dad, like, I don't think I ever saw him fish. Like, he never helped us. Luckily, like, my mom grew up kind of in a fishing family in Corpus, and so, like, all of my angling skills really came from my mom. Like, she was mm-hmm. totally into it, even when she was much older, you know, she, she was like, take me fishing, take me fishing kind of stuff. Um, but my dad always like, he loved canoeing, loved the outdoors. Uh, I had an older brother who loved to fish. And so like, I learned a lot from my older brother, Chris. And then like, you know, you know, it was all about meat, you know, filling up coolers, you know, eating fish. We grew up large family, not particularly wealthy, not poor. So, you know, fish was like a welcome thing you know back then when i was younger you know my teens you know the limit was like 25 trout you know there was some spots that we could go we'd hit there 11 o'clock get a limit it's midnight it's another day get another limit two guys 60 80 fish in the cooler you know it was i mean that's kind of the way it was back then and 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 Thankfully, I kind of rapidly, uh, you know, then I, when I, I went to college, um, the, the, it was, I can never remember this guy, but I used to go over the Guadalupe River with my spinning rod, and I knew I could pop three or four trout, throw my stringer, go to my apartment, and, and have a nice dinner. You know, I was so poor in college. Like, that was like substance, you know. And, and friends that had dove, you know, places I could dove hunt and deer hunt. So, like, you know, even my – I remember at one point my, my little dorm fridge was just full of dove at one point. <laughs> it was like nice. – and, and then it's like – and then it's like the, the, the you know, all the, the ways I found out to cook wild game in a dorm room, you know. <laughs> You know, like how the, many ways can you microwave a dove? No, I mean no. I was oh, like, that sounds horrible. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, so. I think back then they had hot plates. Yeah, yeah. I'm not that old. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, so so I I met this this guy on a quad, and and he was actually a TRU guy. He that there used to be a thing called the lawyers lease. There was a these group of guys, I don't, I'm not even sure any of them were lawyers, but for whatever reason they call it's where the the 6B lease is. And, they, and, and that guy used to see me, I'd come in there and I would pop some fish and string them. And so he was like, I mean, obviously you've mastered that. You ought to try fly fishing. And so I was like, dude, I don't have the money. Like, you know, I, I mean, this is like fly fishing gear. And so he, he, he just kind of like friended me and never like beat me up for being like a total meat hunter, taking the fish that he and his buddies are paying to stock there. 
And, you know, and he, he kind of was patient with me over a couple of years. Finally, he just gifted me this old, uh, I mean, it was an old Orvis, you know, one of the first generation graphite rods, a bat and kill reel. And, and like, I, I, I can remember I, he gave me a box of, of like buggers and, you know, zug bugs, a few like, just like super like old school mainstay, you know, Catches anything. You still you have know. that rod? I don't. I don't. I wish I did. We asked Alvin the same question. He said he broke his on his bike. His original <laughs> rod, like he was riding his bike in it. Well, well, that's so. It's really sad because I'll tell you about that. I didn't know. It's how naive I was. I didn't know that like if you had a rod like an Orvis rod, you could send it back and repair it. I was used to when a rod broke, it was garbage. So I, I think I just. Got broken. I just threw it away. I yeah. didn't know. Now, I, I, I had that bat and kill for years, and then I passed it on to uh, one of my students years ago. Was into fly fishing, and he had this just like painful, really bad, really. I don't want to mention the company. It was a really bad reel. I was like, dude, I, I had this really cool bat and kill. I'll give you. It's a nice. I put new line on it and gave it to him because I kind of like. I remember like when, but, but I, I, I can also remember like literally stripping down in my underwear because I hung up one of my buggers on a stump <laughs> and like diving in there and get my fly bag. Cause like, you know, I didn't know how to tie. And then, and then, and then, so that was about 87, 88, graduate college, go to Houston. I'm fishing with my brother again, conventional stuff. And, um, I go to work for for uh, this guy named Mark Judson, and he's a super avid fly fisherman. And so he automat he like gets me into it. So um, and then uh, where I was living in Houston at the time, I was right across the freeway from from uh, fishing tackle unlimited. And so so there was a, a guy there, he's still there, Mike Barbie, who's a kind of a lifelong friend and a mentor. And Mike gave me like casting lessons and really kind of helped me out, you know, like, oh no, you know, but, um, and he really kind of showed me a lot of the stuff. He introduced me to, to, at that point I had bought one of the first sit on top kayaks, you know, ocean kayaks. You know, I think I bought like the third kayak ever in Texas, you know, sit on top kayak in Texas. I was probably 92. And, and, um, and so I was, I'd go out with my fly rod and my conventional, I, I, you know, I, um, so I, I had made this transition. I wasn't bait fishing anymore. And then I was really into just taking some soft plastics and, and, and some top waters. I love these, these, these baits called jumping, uh, jumping minnows. And, and, and so Zara spooks. And, and so I really got into that. And, and then one day I just left all that home and, and took the fly rod. And then, and then really like, I didn't really, uh, probably until the late nineties did I really start fishing a lot of lakes and rivers. I mainly, you know, spent all my time and definitely all my hard earned money on the coast, you know, about, you know, I had a series of, of, of small boats you know, that was before the high-performance pulling skiff. So, you know, we shallow sports and, and little 16 Maudis were, were the really nice shallow boats that you could get in into really shallow spots. And, and so I got into red fishing. 
and and then um I I had some friends I grew up that I'd known from surfing the the, the Hill brothers Steve and Robert Hill and 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 their dad was a, a super avid fly fisherman he he had grown up in West Virginia literally feeding his family with and, and so so that just got me into fly fishing and then you know it's it's the early 90s it was cool back then you you would go to a fly shop and they're like oh we're gonna have a guest speaker but the guest speaker was like a flip palette a lefty cray you know a stew app it was like the the guys who were like the godfathers of, of fly fishing both you know and so I can remember like the first Clouser I tied. I went and listened to Bob Clouser speak, and and I want to say it was at uh, Angler's Edge. It was a great fly shop uh, Brooks Bolden had back in the '90s, '80s, and '90s. And you know, and and those guys were part of the founding of GCCA, you know, Gulf Coast Conservation, that that became Coastal Conference, uh, Co- uh, Coaster Conference. <sighs> Coastal Conservation Association. CCA. CCA. Um, and so it was, it was super tight, you know, community. But it was cool because, like, you know, still when I tie a Clouser, it's very much how Bob Clouser told me. Mm-hmm. And, as, and, and as he's tying, he's explaining why he did this and the trials and tribulations and the, the watching that, you know, and his observations – and, and it's funny because a lot of times I'll go into shops and I'll look at Clousers like, oh, Bob wouldn't like this one. You know, it, yeah. it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and same thing, you know, the lefty deceiver and seducer, you know, I I learned from from lefty Cray. You know, I, I can remember um, early 90s being at a Shallow Water Expo, which was a short-lived great um Fish, you know, fishing sh- circuit that was in Florida and, and Texas and, and, a, and a few other, like uh, South Carolina and Georgia, I think. And Lefty Craig giving me casting lessons. He basically said, look, you got some bad habits, nothing I could fix today, but you are you cast far and you cast accurate. It's not real pretty. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, like, so I took that as a win, but, like, you know, I, I, I don't – you know, still when I see my, you know, a video of my casting, I'm like, oh, man, that's just not that pretty. It's nothing, like, um, that, that I'm proud of. But, again, too, it's it's about accuracy. And it, if you're catching fish, don't worry about what your cast looks like. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that's yeah. kind of what I say. Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're able to cut through wind and, and you're making things happen, don't, don't, don't get too caught up in that. But um, it was kind of nice. I, you know, I entered – Fly fishing a wonderful time, you know, because Lefty Cray and, and kind of the, the, the Bob Clousers, they were in their 40s and 50s. They were young and they were doing a lot, you know, and equip. And I hit the perfect time where equipment started getting really good, you know. The, 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 the rods were getting better. They were getting faster. Um, the, um, the lines were better, material, you know, materials. I mean, the, just just to see how good fly tying materials and and how good hooks are and the variety, you know, it, that's been really fun to watch. It, 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 it's really funny too. It's um, you know, going back to like the way I tie. You know, a lot of like 
you know, once once I moved to the hill country in the in the late nineties, you know, there, there was a really good fly shop in San Antonio. There was a really good fly shop in in Austin. So I could, I you know, I lived in Wimberley. So you know, one month I'd go shopping at one, but you know, a lot of times I'd be tying. I didn't have the right material, so I would improvise and. I wouldn't say I invented a new fly, but out of improvising necessity, it was a variant that just happened to work. And, and, and because I kind of have an art background, you know, I keep a sketchbook. So when I tie a fly, I kind of reverse engineer it after I've tied a fly. And so I start with a hook and then I, I do a sequence. I should have brought that so you can take a picture of it. But so every every pattern I come up with, you know, I deconstruct it. And so I have instructions and, 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 you know, what material I use and what, what hook and everything. And, and so in doing that, I, I became a lot more proficient. I, you know, I, you know, I'll be the first one to admit, like, I, I don't think I'm a great tire, you know, I look at other people's work and I just like, I'm in awe, you know, but, um, but I like to tie flies that, and another thing too is most of the time when you look at a fly in a fly shop, you're, you're seeing it dry. You know, one of my, you know, when I tie a fly, usually I'm going to lick the fly and get it wet and look at it, or I'm going to drop it in a glass of water or glass of beer or whatever and look at it wet because that's really what the fish is seeing. And, 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 and that was one of my worries about selling flies commercially is a lot of, People would look at that fly dry and just like that thing's painful. Like I can't believe I just spent six bucks on that. Yeah, but when you see it wet, very different story. Changes it. Yeah, and and or the way it moves in the water. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's this one fly. That's uh, the very unfortunate name. Walk is shame. It's my variation of a clouser. It's essentially a clouser with all synthetic materials, um, but. Um, I wanted a fly that matched a particular minnow that I was seeing a lot on the on the uh, on the Colorado, and and the fish had a little more belly, and so I, uh, when you looked at a, a clouser in profile, it needed a little belly. So I do this little I do this little wrap of 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 um, Palmer Daisha needle, mm-hmm. and it creates this nice little gives belly. A little, but when it's wet though, because when it's dry, it probably just puffs everything out. Yeah, it's super ugly. Like, yeah. and then. After you catch a fish, the fly looks destroyed, you know. So, so, so that's where it got the. You know, one of the guys looked at it. I was fishing what? with. <laughs> oh, he goes. It looks like it looks like that look like when you're walking home after a rough night and your buddies left you at a bar and you're just like disheveled. That's what this fly looks like. <laughs> oh man, and, and the shape. That's great. And then you throw it back in the water and it looks perfect. Right? You know, and 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 the way it undulates and. And that that's another thing too. When 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 you know when Bob Clouser designed the Clouser minnow, there weren't a lot of really good s- synthetic like craft furs and stuff. No. And, and 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 I like tying Clousers with synthetic materials. Um, I they're not as aesthetic as a Clouser dry but wet. The way they move in the water, you get that. It's it. it and, and Get a little I, more action than the and, deer. And deer. it saves me from having to tie articulated flies. I just, those are, I mean, I, I love them. I mean, I love to fish them. 
Um, I don't like using multi-hook flies um, for a lot of reasons. I mean, we, we have a lot of debris here. A lot of those flies were um, created by smallmouth guys, and they're, they're in sandier, rockier conditions. Here we have car bodies and tires and trees and bushes and, and root systems that we're fishing in. So, so uh, you know, the uh, uh, flies with multiple hooks, if you hang them, especially at depth, they're mm -hmm. really hard to get yeah, back. Yeah, catch every little thing. Yeah, there's nothing worse than sticking a $11 fly in a tree and you're just like. That's, that's part of the reason why I rarely fish my game changers, just because I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't want well, to I, 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 I mean, I, I tell folks when I guide them, you know, fish dangerous. Fish, fish that where, you, where you're expecting to lose that fly because that's where a largemouth's going to be. Yeah. I mean, largemouth, they're going to hold tight to structure. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I, I've experimented with lots and lots of, 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 uh, different variations on weed guards um, and, and, and uh, bin backs. And, 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 you know, I, I still fish a lot of weed guards. I mean, I'll, a lot of people will call weed guards fish guards. I, I don't agree with that. I mean, yeah, if you do 60-pound fluoro or hard mason, yeah, that might prevent a fish. But, you know, most of my weed guards just have enough. But, but also, you know, I want people to throw I don't want people to throw at structure. I want people to throw into the structure, over structure, drag something through the structure. Right. And, and, you know, game changers or some of the sex dungeons or, or baby gongas, you know, or full gong, they, they look great and they're super fishy. But in structure, a lot of times they hang up, you yeah. know. And, yeah. And, and, you know, so... I, I try to design flies and, and work with flies and utilize flies that are really simple, um, single hook. Um, I like single hook, too, because fewer hooks means fewer hooks in me and fewer hooks in my clients. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're going to get popped usually once a trip. Sometimes if it's windy, you're going to get popped in the head or the back multiple times. I, all my fishing shirts are just like you know, a roadmap of every time I've been hit, you know. <laughs> a little bit like Swiss Connect cheese. the dots. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of yeah. artwork can you get on the back of your shirt? Well, it's really funny because I have this favorite Patagonia fishing shirt, and, and I send it back, and, and they have this great worn wear program. And and, and, um, and she did these little cool little iron-on things. And, and, and I don't know why she didn't put them on the inside of this shirt. So the back of my shirt, and they're the they're these little iron-on patches, but they're in the shape of fishes. So <laughs> so I think I think I counted. There's like 16 of them on the back of this shirt. They're little one or two inch patches, but it's kind of funny, you know. That's it's awesome. great. But that's every time I've been hit, you know, like yeah. in that shirt. I just do a little one. And, and then like you know, so, um, but yeah, when it when it comes to, you know, um. And another thing, too, is, like, going back to the marker conversation we're having, it's like, you know, one day, you know, it wasn't lost on us. Like, man, a lot of these smaller guads we're catching are really golden and yellow. And it's also not lost on me that bass are incredibly cannibalistic. And so I'm like, screw it. I went in and I tied some clouds, half and half clousers 
and I, I put, you know, a half and a half clouser, a standard clouser, and, and then it has two hackles, right? And, mm-hmm. and so you could do the hackles, you could have them face in, you know, so it gives it a nice taper, or you can have them go out like on a, a seducer where, you know, it creates vibration. I've tied them both ways. I don't see a really big difference, but I went with Grizzly because it, it kind of matched the striations, that really cool camo pattern yeah. um, that's on Guadalupe Bass. And, 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 and then instead of a white, underbelly i added some yellow to it and 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 then when i when i did that variation in in, in a walk of shame clouser i instead of white or or silver i actually used gold and then i hit the gold with a yellow marker and and that little subtlety um made a big difference and so i'm thinking the larger females uh, you know that you know, it, it's um, fall. They're trying to put on, you know, the the, the clock's ticking. They're gonna, they need to start thinking about producing eggs. Spawn's coming up. So they're just eating everything. And yeah. I, I just think that they just totally turn on. On the smaller ones. Probably their children from, like, last year. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a sad <laughs> world. everything. But, but, yeah, they just, like, jump on them, you know. Yeah. And so... It's kind of, fun. you know, that part of it I really, I really like. I mean, the, the I mean, I, I look at guys like Matt Bennett and, 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 and I was like, I mean, he, he's forgotten more than I'll ever know about tying. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, I've been tying for 25 years, but I, I just, I'll, I'll never be at that level. Um, but I. I like to tie flies that are very utilitarian. I think, I think if I could sum up, my, you know, the, the, the Hefe fly thing, it's, it's all about simplicity, you know. One of the patterns I'm really excited about is this Patron frog. Um, it's this little simple foam frog. Again, it's legs, a little bit of chenille for belly, and, and, and then some rubber legs. I'm, you know... I use the oldest rubber leg on the market. It's the old Wopsy barred leg. But what I like them, if you've ever looked at a pack of those, um, the legs are matted so they're together. So you can pull like six legs and I can tie knots in those and I can, so I can create, you know, so you, you can duplicate like those big powerful muscles. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, um, and, and what I noticed too is when when I put six of those together and tie knots in the end, it, they naturally kick like a frog when you through the water. So you get this really natural frog, and and they're rubber, so it adds a little weight. So the the and, and a lot of times I'll throw that pattern on a sink tip line, you know, that has made ten foot of sink tip. So you throw it out there, and I'll throw it out there, give it one strip, and, and it'll kind of go subsurface. Almost what what I like about that f- fishing frog patterns a lot of times it it it's subsurface but it's so close to the surface you'll see the fish wake which inexperienced anglers prematurely will set the hook and pull the f- but you know it's really fun to watch that just predatory that, coming in I'll have to check I, this out this fly out so I know it's it's, it's, it's it's fun yeah um uh, um I just I just 
um, gave a whole batch to Odom Wu to, to photograph, to put on my website. And, and then he, he, he's the benefactor of like a dozen of these. And so he's been R and D and, um, but they, um, I mean, we have like a, from mid March to mid June, we have a great frog season. And then in, in the, in the fall, we have a nice frog season. Um, most of the patterns that are out, are are green and they have these like crazy froggy cool paint jobs and all that but they don't look anything like our frogs here our frogs here are super brown and cream almost yeah, they're brown and cream and, yeah. and, and, and 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 that's what what i've done you know i i have a green one um and, and then because parts of the south they have really bright frogs a lot of the frogs that you see in the fly shop are almost like you know panamanian poisonous tree frog you know the, like the paint jobs are really crazy they, they look really cool but they don't look anything like the frogs here. No, yeah you know i always tell people if it's a slightly misty spring day april may more than a popper i want to throw a frog yeah um and this frog makes it doesn't make a lot of noise but like i when i pull up to a river if i hear frogs chirping i'm gonna throw a frog mm. And, um, and, and again, too, I really, I wasn't inspired by all the different frogs that are on the market from a fly standpoint. I really looked at what, what conventional guys were throwing. There's a really simple frog called a ribbit frog, and it's a molded soft plastic frog that you put a big five-aught or four-aught, you know, uh, you know, wide gap worm style hook on, and they're super deadly. If you go slow with them, they're on the surface. If you really crank them hard, you can get them to dive. Um, and so I wanted a fly that kind of mimicked that. So by putting that sink tip, you're kind of getting that same little. You, you get that, and almost, you know, almost all your hits are as that fly, as as that frog's done a dive and it's coming up, mm-hmm. and they're just they probably look very vulnerable. Yeah, as you know? you're kind of like struggling to make it to the surface. It, and uh, you know, it's funny. Um, when I was testing, fortunately, where I live in Wimberley, there's a subdivision that has three or four incredible stock tanks. They have some pretty nice bass in them, but, you know, all the kids fish them. Some of these kids are really good. You know, they toss out worms and, and everything. So these fish are, like, they've seen it all. Yeah. I'll go out there. I'll throw poppers. I'll catch a few. And, and then I put that frog on, and it's just amazing. It's like it, it, it fools them every time. What was crazy is the the biggest uh, bluegills I've ever caught. Um, you know, they were in spawn. I could see them on beds, and and if I threw anywhere that near that bed, I'm talking like ten feet of that bed. Th- those big females would run over and attack that. And so I, I, you know, I read somewhere that like frogs are prolific egg eaters. Like that, that they'll wipe out a bed, and so fish kind of. Don't they like target them. them because but, of that. But also, I'm thinking, and maybe this is like putting way too much stock in the middle capacity of a fish, but, I mean, I think, like, crawfish, frog. Like, I know bass love crawfish, but sooner or later they get older, they're aware of, like, man, they're kind of hard on you. You got to, like, turn them around a couple times to get them down your throat. You know, like, they're kind of a pain in the butt. They don't have much meat on them. But a frog is just, I mean, it's like, you know, it's like a 
giant chicken breast, right? It's just pure muscle. And so I think the frogs, like in the spring, I mean, the bass in the spring, they key on those frogs. Yeah. And, and so, um, and, and again, you look at this, this fly, it's so simple. I, I, I sent some up to, to a friend of mine back in April, and, and, and uh, he manages some big ranches in East Texas for some folks that are in Dallas. And, and, they're, and they kind of have a fly fishing club that got there. And, and he said, man, like, can you tie me up like two dozen of these frogs? Like, I had like three of them. And like, they were like, he goes, man, the, the bite marks on these things. And so, and so, you know, that, that, so, so I really like tying and, and frogs. It's, it's sort of like you were talking about, you know, these things that fish eat that a lot of fishermen aren't keying on, like, you know, that you, you tied up a, a little flounder pattern, you know, but also when I think of redfish, like redfish, you know, they inhabit the margin and marshes and everything. So, you know, one day I threw those frogs at redfish and, and man, they ate, they ate the frog, you know. Um, I don't want to give away quite away where, give away where I was fishing. Yeah, but we're anti-hotspotting. Yeah, so. yeah. We, don't, we don't do that. Well, I don't want to You just got to tell us. You just got to tell us off the air. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> it's warmer than 10, less than 5, no. Um, but like, you know, I, I think it's fun. You know, I, I threw, uh, there's a guy spin diesel. He has this beautiful crawfish pattern. I think it's called a spin cray cray. It's this beautiful crawfish pattern. I threw that to a red fish and it's like, you know, and the thing made a big splash. It was way big. And, and that red fish just came and crushed that crawfish yeah. pattern. And it's like. What he thought it was, I don't care, you know. <laughs> but you know, so so I think there's just certain flies that just you know, um, it just it brings out the predatory and in, in, in fish. Yeah. Hey Jeff, one thing I want to touch on before we have to stop the show, we'll have to get you back on because there's a lot more we need to talk about oh, yeah. than what we were able to cover. Um, but your life is kind of transitioning. Uh, we talked about it a couple weekends ago. And so, do you want to kind of talk about that a little bit? Um, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, for, first of all, um, it 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 warms my heart um, how incredibly giving the fly fishing community is, and what a. I mean, so, um, come came back from Colorado. You know, we do these kind of like crazy trips where we hop in the car last minute and drive back. We want to spend as much time. And then nobody likes driving through West Texas. You know, I'm a West Texas boy, and I still. Did you ever sleep in a Walmart parking lot in, uh, Zach, where did we stay? Let's Uh, see, Roswell. I've slept in one in Roswell. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't Roswell. It wasn't Roswell. I'm blanking on the town. It was about an hour north of Santa Fe. I can't remember. Oh, Española. Española. Yeah. I've been in that one too. Yeah. I think I think uh, me and uh, fly shop owner Chris Jackson, we 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 had a little two, two hour spell until our favorite little uh, diner in in Española opened up. So we yeah. had about a three hour spell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The worst. Uh, that that was horrible. That was the worst yeah. thing in my life. Yeah, and then we were told like you guys 
slept in the Walmart parking lot. Espanola. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. So I didn't know this, but Espanola is like that. That's that's where the low rider started. Did y'all know that? No way. Isn't that cool. I did not know yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's true, but like a couple low riders <laughs> told me that. Okay. As far Sounds as we cool. know, it's true. All right. Sounds I'm not going to question them because they were it. legit. Yeah. Neck tattoos, the whole thing. <laughs> um. But anyway, um, when I got back in 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 um. In, in early August, I just wasn't myself. I didn't have any energy. And with the pandemic, I, I, I'd missed like a year of going to my doctor. And, and so I went there. And I was like, started telling him. And I'm like, man, I'm having these like crazy pains in my neck. And I've lost feeling in my hand. I'm like dropping stuff. And then I was like, and then, you know, in the male area, I'm like super not comfortable. I'm super sore. And, you know, I feel like somebody like, kick me right in the balls, you know, to, to be quiet. And so, so we run some tests. One of them was a PSA, a blood test that, that you know, it, it checks. The, so PSA is prostate specific antigen. It's a, it's a protein that the prostate puts off and it's, it's a good, you know, thing for the doctors. So sure. When you got it back, my, you know, my doctor calls me back with, I got, pretty bad news and bad news type thing. And he's like, I was like, well, of course I want the pretty bad news, uh, the worst of the bad news. And he goes, man, you got something serious going on with your prostate. I'm hoping it's like some type of infection. You told me you just came off like a 16 hour road trip. So it could be some type of, you know, uh, he goes, it's pretty common long haul truckers will get like an infection in their prostate, you know, hold your piss too long or something. I don't know. I thought you were going to say because of the lot lizard. <laughs> Could have something to do with that. <laughs> I think that's something totally different you get from lot lizards. But, but, but anyway, by the way, like somebody gave me this great like international nose symbol with this like super sexy lizard. And it was like no lot lizards. And that was like the best sticker I ever had. Um, in fact, like I got pulled over the cop and he said, he was like, dude, that's the best sticker ever. <laughs> that's um, a great fly name. Yeah. A lot lizard. A lot lizard. lizard. Yeah. I might have to try a lizard pattern because I'm yeah. sure a lot of lizards sure get picked up. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Ooh, we got to do a, like a salamander we sh- pattern. We should do yeah. a, coll- a collaboration and call it the lot lizard. The lot I, lizard. I'm totally under that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll probably not get through the night without trying it. <laughs> But anyway, so long story short, he goes, your PSA numbers are like off the chart. You know, my age, they should have been out four. They came back as like a 28. So go see a urologist, uh, do a biopsy, came back with prostate cancer. I mean, thankfully, seems to have caught it pretty early, but, you know, probably a third of the prostate is has cancerous tissue in it. Um, and so I'm going to have to have a, uh, you know, they feel really confident with a with, with the surgery remove, remove the prostate, you know, pretty life changing too. You know, it's it's kind of a as I start reading the literature, it's like you know, it's there's the surgery and then there's everything that comes with that. You know, there's incontinence and impotence and I mean, there, it's it, and I mean, what's crazy is like from a fly fishing standpoint, like. One of the guys I fish with a lot, Sammy, you know, uh, is a doctor and, and he's a radiologist. And so, like, I could call him and he's a very respected radiologist and doctor. And 
and, and like he could tell me everything, you know? Mm -hmm. And then like, I have another really good friend who's, who's a doctor who's also been through this recently. No problem, Jeff, da, da, da. they're going to talk about this, here's treatments, options, plus the advice. But it, but you know, um, in short, you know, in short fashion, I also like had a couple of really good clients that, that I fish with. One, of, one is Jeff Hedges and, you know, he's been through, um, prostate. I think his was, you know, rougher than mine. I don't want to give up too much of his medical history without his permission, but, you know, he went through a tough spell and, um, you know, because he's a cancer survival, he's also, uh, involved with real recovery. And, and it was great when I ran into you guys a few, few weeks ago at, at the, uh, October fish. And it was great that you, you know, cause I, I, I had to break the news to, to you guys too. And y'all instantly like, Hey, what's well, funny, you know, we're big real recovery volunteers always help out with the retreats. Cause we always say it's the best weekend of the best two weekends of the year right, for us. are real recovery retreats without a doubt. And it always seems like we don't ask to be in the same tent or like share a booth with real recovery, but it just always seems like we're, it's we're, magically we're gifted that like our booth is right next to a recovery. Yeah. So it right. works out. It's, it's great. It's great because, you know, uh, it, it, one of the things that's always been really nice in guiding is the giving back aspect of that, you know, um, working with, um, you know, uh, Dacus with Texas Parks and Wildlife. He does the, the kid fish on the Guadalupe mm -hmm. and been a part of that. And, 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 um, and, uh, there, there's, you know, um, I, I did for a while trips for troops, you know, I mean, one of the best things you could do with somebody who's suffering from PSD or, 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 you know, going through a lot of traumatic stuff is just a day on the water just to forget, you know, we, we forget how incredibly cleansing just a day in the outdoors, you know, one of, one of my favorite, uh, um, outdoors was uh, Fred bear, you know, the, the inventor of the, the bear bow, and Fred Bear was like, never underestimate the power of nature to 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 cleanse you and and, and replenish you, and, and and I mean that's a big part. I have a lot on my plate, and 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 I mean when I get on the water, I get on the boat, or I get around some friends, and we're out fishing or anything in the outdoors. Um, I mean, it, it, it just, I mean, it charges the battery and replenishes. So it, it, it's been really nice. I mean, so, you know, unfortunately, um, so the prostate cancer and, and, and then I, I have some, some pretty good damage to, to a disc in my neck that I'm going to have to deal with right now. I'm, you know, the priority is cancer, you know, um, and then I got to deal with that. So probably going to have two pretty, um, pretty substantial surgery recoveries with the, with the prostate surgery and then the next surgery. So, so, you know, six months, no guiding six months of, you know, probably not doing too much. I mean, there'll be some rehab, some working physical therapy, stuff like that, but, you know, going out. Um, so I'll probably spend a good amount of time at my bench. You know, there, there, there's some kind of patterns that, 
you know, I want to perfect and, and work on that mm-hmm. have been in my mind. A lot lizard now. It's going to be one of those <laughs> we'll have to try. I hope yeah. so. But we're put, as soon as that comes out, we're putting it on. But it's, it's, I get the royalties. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's, uh, you know, you know, one of my favorite songs of all time, Grateful Dead, and there's a lyric in one of their songs, When Life Looks Like Easy Street, Danger's at the Door. You know, and, and my wife and I were talking. We had, like, two amazing daughters. My oldest daughter, Jess, 19, freshman year at UT, and just crushing it, you know, straight A's, you know, just diving into it with a lot of gusto. My youngest daughter, Ellie, like, is chip off the old block, total, like, hustler, always working, you know, on top of her studies, and it's like, I have these, like, zero-maintenance kids that are just, like, I mean, every day I wake up, the, I'm, I'm so proud of them. They're just, like, great kids. Mm-hmm. They Not an ounce of trouble. Not to say that they're angels. I mean, they haven't fooled me that much. But they're, like, and so, been married to Shannon, my wife, 20 years. Just, like, incredible lady. Um, you know, I think, you know, people always say, God, how do you have the time today to do this? And, and, and it's like, man, cause I just have this incredible support system with like awesome daughters, this incredible wife, you know, my wife's passion it, it, it is animal rescue. She works for organization WAG, Wimberley Animal Group Rescue. She's a volunteer, she's a board member, heads up a lot of you know, uh, fostering and, 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 um, and adoption. And so like that, that, you know, my, my passion is the outdoors and fishing. Shannon's loves the outdoors. Um, and, and she would probably fish as much as I do, but like her passion is animal. So, 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 man, I'm so fortunate because I'm going through this kind of life-altering stuff. You know, the whole ideas were empty nesters. You know, I'm thinking about retirement in five or six years from the university. You know, that's a nice thing about working for the state. You know, they, I've had really good benefit. I've been fortunate. I always tell people, especially, you know, if I'm mentoring young people, it'd be a guy that was like, man, it's really difficult because the at the end of the day, there's two types of people. There's the people that should be guides, and then there are people that can afford to be guides, you know? And, 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 and I'm what, you know, the, I was, I could afford to be guiding because I, I had so little to worry about because from, you know, it, it's hard to make it as a guide. You know, that's the, I think when you're young, your twenties, you're saying, all I need is a pickup and a little bit of tackle and a boat. It was like, man you know you destroy a truck and half the time you destroy a, a rod that most people is going to last 10 years you're gonna you'll get one good year out of it i mean you'll get so abused if it's a, you know if you're guiding regularly you know you you might go through a dozen flies in a day you know some days you guide you don't lose any flies some days you I, i've had I've had days where we do six drifts and we lose six tandem rigs. <laughs> and, and, and so it's, you know, guiding, guiding is really tough. It's, it's, it's hard to make it work. You know, I, um, it, it seems that, you know, it was natural for me. Um, 
I, I moved to the Texas Hill Country. There was a perfect time. The popularity of, guy, uh, of fly fishing was doing this. And at the time on the Guadalupe, um, there, was, there was really, so there was uh, Scott, Scott Graham. There was Bill Higdon, you know, who passed away a few years ago with cancer. Uh, and then um, Alvin Dito and Kevin Stubbs. There was four guides on the river. And, and, there, and so m- myself, I, I made the fifth guide. So yeah, I, now fast forward 20 years. There's 25, 30 guys. Now, fishing has grown exponentially. So there's plenty of clients. And, 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 I'm, and, and I don't fault any young person for getting a guide, guiding. It's, I mean, if, if you think you're, you'll be good at it, you know, you, try it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, I, I, I wish there was more mentorship. I had really good mentorship before I ever get into guiding. You know, it's amazing, you know, I, I see guys who have never fished a river or they fished a river once or twice, and then they're going to guide somebody literally the next day. You know, I, I see a, a guy comes down here from Colorado, floats the river a couple times, and they, they're doing trips. Now they're catching fish, so it's a testament. They, they probably are a pretty good guy, but I couldn't do that, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I had to fish years and years and and i like knowing every inch of a body of water and and but anyway you know because i've had a lot of different things i've been afforded the the luxury of guiding you know this this you know there's a lot of frustration you know it's like Hill country is beautiful it's grown it's almost doubled in the 20 years that i've been living here Mm -hmm. um but we're not making any more natural resources yeah you know, now something I, I, I'm doing because, like, the rivers are getting more and more crowded. That's nobody's fault. It's just, it's a numbers thing. I, you know, yes, sometimes I get a little upset. Dang, I wanted to fish that spot. There's two people there. You know, I can't blame those people. You know, I, I and, and now, is, is it human nature to get a little mad, a little jealous? Yes, but you, you got to just get over it and move on. To me, that just that that creates the whole Lewis and Clark thing. Well, what's around the next bend? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I've never caught fish here. Well, because I never really fish here because I've always fished there. Well, it's time to fish here now because yeah. sometimes the best place to fish isn't where everybody is. It's where you can have and, – and a lot of it is the the sanctuary of fishing too is, is really a good part of it. So, So I'm really exploring lakes. I mean, one of the big things is the Texas Parks and Wildlife spends 99% of their budget on on stocking on lakes and not rivers. Mm-hmm. Most of us go to rivers as fly fishermen. So, you know, I'm encouraging. I mean, I'm spending more time on lakes. A lot more stocking, a lot more fishing. Now, that means I'm having to learn you electronics and fish finders and and experiment with some really deep sinking lines and and all that that comes with it's very different but in kind of pursuit of less crowds and everything i've had to kind of change that up and i think a, a lot of guides are doing that as well so i mean um it it's a bummer how 
crowded it's getting. Mm-hmm. I mean, but you can't blame anybody for wanting to live here and fish here. Yeah. You know? We're here. We can't get mad at each other. We all came here for a reason. But it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think it's compounded. But, you know, as I say, the Great Spirit's not making any more rivers or lakes anytime soon. So yeah. you gotta, you got to figure out a way, you know. I, you, with social media, you see so much frustration. And sometimes I'm part of that frustration, I'm sure, you know. I come by with my jet boat with two anglers. There's somebody who painstakingly paddled to get to that spot. You know, I, I see that frustration, so... Well, Jeff, we need to get you back on because yeah. uh, we didn't even cover this half the stuff that we talked about in the pre-show. Yeah. But um, uh, did did they? Uh, do you have a date for your when your treatment starts? Yeah. So it you know um, so far everybody's really optimistic from the treatment team, but essentially um, had the prostate surgery in um, first week of December. That ensures me I can get my students through the semester. That's the last thing I want to do. They've had so many interruptions during pandemic with with no face-to-face classes. Things were kind of back to normal. This happened. So uh, so that, and then it's, uh, you know, first months, you know, first two weeks are really rough. And then next month it gets, it gets easier as you go out. And then it's, uh, and then probably um, late April, I'll, I'll have this surgery on my neck to see if we can get this fixed. But I mean, it, it's, it's, it's not real comfortable guiding right now with the dexterity of my hands and even tying too is, you know, experiencing numbness yeah. in my hands. So, so man, I, it, it's, uh, you know, like we, we can all agree 2020 was kind of crappy. And then 21 was like, we were having hope for it was, kind of crappy and so 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 the first part of 2022 is gonna be crappy but I, i'm kind of used to crappy you know but yeah. i mean i um i got a good you know um you know you gotta have a good outlook about stuff like this and it's been really again the, the fly fishing community you know um it's a small community and people have reached out to me it's a, that that part's been just like overwhelming and mm-hmm. and and you know this the psychology of of health, you know, the mental aspect is such a big part of it, and 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 being in a good place, and 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 having organizations like Real for Recovery, and 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 good friends that have gone through this, it's you know, it's it's taken a lot of the fear and uncertainty, and kind of wondering what's around the bend. So that that's been good. So you know. Um, I plan on spending a lot more time at the bench. And, uh, you know, that's the nice thing, too, um, with the creative side. I, you know, no matter how bad I'm feeling, the sketching and, and drawing and, you know, working on the computer, you know, I've recently kind of started getting into the the whole iPad and and drawing directly on an iPad and, 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 you know. That's what you do, isn't it, Zach? Yeah. yeah. I, I, you know. And like, like procreate and some of these great, yeah, great procreate, programs. Procreate is perfect. I mean, and, it's what you, what you'd want. And and so you know, I I just look at it as like, well, I have downtime, and so I'm gonna put that to good use. You know, it's it's, it's sort of that Southern Baptist upbringing. You know, like idle hands. No, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, don't just sit around. Yeah, constantly doing like that. no, you're not gonna get in trouble. You're gonna put this to use. Yeah. So that yeah. that's the 
the short term, long term plan. I mean, well, uh, Jeff, what um, what is your website where people can, if they want to order flies? I know you're probably not doing guided trips for a while. Yeah, so so I you know I have I have a few regulars that we're gonna get some 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 floats in the next couple of weeks. So I'm kind of booked up on guiding. I'll probably start looking, you know, April, May. Um, but it all depends on when I do this next surgery. But, you know, why I'm down, I'm going to continue to do um, therapy on my neck and everything, see if therapy can kind of help you know, buy, buy some time, you know, do some injections and stuff like that, yeah. some pain management stuff. So the guiding's up in up in up in the air, but um, so if they go to Hefe Flyco, so Hefe with a J, so J E F E um, Flyco dot com, you can order flies. You know, I try to every month add some different merchandise, t shirts, caps, stickers, stuff like that. So, so um, yeah, um, so. Christmas is coming, so it's a good time to buy caps and shirts and hats and flies. Yeah, so. we're looking at one of your hats, and I need to get one. I know. Yeah. I like that hat. <laughs> yeah. If, if I can, if I can, you know, like everybody, like we were talking about this earlier, the supply chain for, for fly materials and T-shirts, it's just mm-hmm. crazy, yeah. you know? And, and uh, you know, um, so, yeah, the, the Hefe, Hefe Fly Co., and, and, and then... Uh, you know, also I still do a lot of design. So, um, and then and then my design, my design website is hefemade.com. Um, and so I I still do a lot of freelance design, and and I love doing stuff in the industry. You know, in the fly fishing or outdoor space, for you know whether it be guides, outfitters, you know, um, you know, new outdoor merchandise stuff like that. Yeah, cool. So, yeah. Try to do a little bit of everything. Jeff, uh, we'll get you back on the show. Man, I'd this love is to. Great. This great. is great. Well, I've enjoyed it very much. Um, the 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 uh, the whiskey was superb. Yeah. Thank you. The second one's a little hot, but yeah. we'll, we'll go into more de- in depth yeah, next week. Yeah, I have some opinions on that. We'll, yeah, we'll talk about that next, next time. Because we busted a bottle that you guys don't know about why we were talking. Well, and when you go to ja- from, a, from a Javanese whiskey to, uh, like Japanese to, a, very, whiskeys, to a very hot uh bourbon yeah Yeah. the 120 proof yeah yeah it was like there was a little wow factor that we'll we'll do that one next week yeah so (laughs) the first nip like yeah it catches you (laughs) it caught me but still very good yes i agree all right awesome Um, you guys guys uh thanks for listening go check out jeff's merchandise one thing that'll help us out tell your friends about this podcast if you're if you're listening Shay, if you listen to this podcast and you got a buddy that you think would be interested in it, shoot a message and say, hey, check out this awesome podcast I listened to. They just interviewed a sweet guy named Jeff Davis who just gave a lot of great tips for fishing the hill country. Well, and so drop them on, yeah. Something I would, I would add, I, I, you know, I'm a big podcast person. I drive a lot. Um, there's there's some really good fishing podcasts, and there's there's some that are like, uh, it's uh, I I love the like variety. I love the the, the segments and and there and there's a lot, and and, and as I look through y- y'all y'all's inventory of episodes, 
I was like, holy cow, I didn't know they had interviewed this person or this person. And a lot of those people are, are close friends and mentors. So I'm looking forward to that as well. You know, yeah, you know, um, like the amount of driving you do in, in the guiding industry, <laughs> it, it's like, I, I look at it as yet another. You can op- get through our whole, we're like what, we episode 65 just released. Yeah. If As a guide, you could get through our whole inventory and like, a week and a half, Capital probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, yeah, but uh, um, so, yeah, I really enjoyed this, guys. I'm glad we were able to sit down and do this. And I also want to thanks for 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 the intros that, that you guys made to get me uh, with real recovery. That, well, that means a lot to where me. I know I can say I'm absolutely pumped we volunteered that we're going to be there in April yeah. and that here. you are – I'm going to make sure that you're there on April. I'm not yeah. going to let you not go. <laughs> It'll be fun. So It'll be fun. I'm pumped. It's such a good weekend. I'm pumped um, that – I'm I'm slightly disappointed that I'm the fishing buddy coordinator and therefore cannot be, be your fishing buddy <laughs> well, because I was a uh, uh, Jeff Hedges's fishing buddy and uh, and uh, I I have a hat where all the people that have been my fishing buddies I've had them sign it and I'm oh, like, oh cool. I need Jeff but I'm the coordinator so but you'll have a great fishing buddy but I'm gonna make sure that you're there so that we can hang out that weekend so can I bring my bourbon to that or is it- yeah. Uh, do uh, I don't know them? Camp Capers. It might be a deal with Camp Capers. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. We could find out though. Camp Flush Flash. Hey, you know, <laughs> yeah, I was saying, I but was you can <laughs> definitely bring your bourbon to our next. The next time you're on our show. Nice, nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, because uh, a lot, a lot of my fishing uh, friends and clients know that I love bourbon. Yeah. And. And some I've been really generous and giving me some bourbons that are a little bit out of my price point. <laughs> and, and so so I try to savor those with, with, with friends, and especially friends that aren't going to mix them with a Mr. Pib or something. <laughs> <laughs> Hurts a little bit when you bring a nice bottle and somebody's like, oh, here's the go. Yes. I had a friend that worked for the Bank of Scotland that brought me this incredible 20-year-old scotch. And I looked over at one of my in-laws who had a 46-ounce uh, kind of insulated tumbler that you would get at like a, uh, you know, like a Bucky's or something. Uh-huh. And, and he loads it with ice and then dumps at least a quarter of the bottle and oh. two Diet Cokes. Oh. And I'm like, that was just like a. Two hundred and fifty, three hundred dollar bottle of scotch, and, and he was just like, "What scotch?" <laughs> I was like, "Oh," but oh. say la vie. <laughs> you know what? Thanks for coming on, Jeff. Hey, cheers, cheers. Salute. Thank you, guys. Bye!